But if you stay there, he comes back 10 minutes later and he says, oh, this is weird. <laughs> and then You're still here? You're still here. He goes, oh, okay. And he loads you into his helicopter. He flies you to the end of the game. Flies and you, you bury, to the end of the game? Yeah, and you bury your mother. And, and he that's... says, that's it. Thanks for coming. And you... Ne- <laughs> So that the fact that you're a murderer is your business, player. Like, you walked out of the room. Hi, everybody. This is Soren Johnson, and you're listening to Designer Notes, a podcast about why we make games. Today, we are talking to veteran game designer Alex Hutchinson, who I worked with on Spore and is best known as the creative director of Assassin's Creed 3 and Far Cry 4. Cool. All right. So what I usually like to start with is uh, what's the first video game that you remember? I, uh, the first video game I remember was on my ColecoVision. Okay. <laughs> Uh, was a game called Pepper 2. Pepper 2. Yeah, and it was like, you got to imagine, uh, it, it was it at least had more than one color. But it, it, it was a game where you would um, had like a, a Pac-Man style maze, mm-hmm. but you were zipping up the quadrants by going along the paths. And every time you zipped it up, you sealed it. Uh, uh, and you, so you had to seal up all the quadrants while okay. dodging various, you know, little beasts so that would go down the tracks. You the dots, you sealed the path. Or yeah. There were you dots. did like, it was it's like, imagine a cross between, say, Pac Man and, no, there were zippers. <laughs> Pac Man <laughs> and uh, 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 Kicks. Okay. Um, but it had multiple screens. So you could actually, like, the, you know, there was like a grid of four by four maps. And you could go from screen to screen and zip up these sort of areas. So when, it, when all the bad guys would pursue you and coalesce on one screen, and then you would sort of run uh, uh, across to another screen and try to zip up as many areas of that one before transitioning. It was actually actually a good game. Good game. Yeah, actually sounds interesting. Pepper, pepper two. Pepper, pepper two. Oh, pepper one. Yeah, it implies that there was a pepper one. And <laughs> I, 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 from memory, even as a child, I think in the in the mid '80s, I, I tried to find Pepper one, but right. I could not. Wow. I, I kind of want to search on the. It's good. It's a good game. Like it's you know like I think maybe that's why I, I fell in love with the the medium is I got lucky with games sure. early on because you yeah. know you're buying things. I actually remember being in the department store around that period. You know like a Macy's equivalent in in Melbourne, Australia, with my dad. So I must have been six or seven so it's a very early memory and I'm standing in a room and all the boxes arranged around me and it was like Aladdin's cave you know what I mean like all yeah. of these games if only I could have had them and dad saying you know pick one and then you know saying as you do to kids are you sure are you sure are you sure pepper sure you know and <laughs> is this the one yeah it's got some exotic you know like golden age sci-fi cover on it and at the same yeah, it's about yeah. zipping up quadrants for no purpose <laughs> yeah yeah, games were, I mean, games were such a crapshoot back then. Not just, like, whether they're good or bad, but, like, whether you found a game that other people ever even knew about. Like, I know for, I have vague memories of these games that, like, I found amazing, but I have a feeling like I was one of the few people who ever played them. Yeah. So the memory didn't get stuck, right? As opposed to, like, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, like, Load Runner or something, right? Like, a game that enough, enough people played that, like, it gets, got stuck in your memory as opposed to, like, this thing where it's like, was that a real game or just a dream, you know? Like, well, there's, I mean, there was a whole... Co- I had a computer um, called a Microbee, which is... Uh, wow, was, I've never heard of that. No, one. it was made, designed, built, and manufactured in Australia. Okay. <laughs> 
right? So it was like Apple for Australia. My father made me buy it when we were choosing computers because they were all equal at that point. Like, Was this like an Australian patriotism thing? Yeah, my dad was just like, they all seem to do the same thing. <laughs> so pick the local one, right? Because he was a, you know, it was a nice car and it, it had games on it. Okay. It had like dozens Super of games, games on it. Yeah. And so I think these things are lost. I'm sure there's an emulator somewhere. Uh, but um, I played all my, all my earliest games after, you know, the ColecoVision were on this computer that was only made in Australia and then swiftly went out of business. Wow. Wow. I mean, I'm like vaguely aware of like the the kind of bizarro British ones, the what, the Sinclair or whatever those things Yeah, were, well, they had like, big followings. Like, there you go. I mean, someone's heart had just had a heart attack hearing you say bizarro by the Sinclair. <laughs> you know, like... I, you're sorry, gonna get, Brit- sorry, Brits. Yeah, you've got a whole country that's going to send you hate mail now based on this. But the micro I think you can authentically mock. Yeah. Well, all I know is like a lot of those people play games on cassettes for far too long. Was that... Were you, did you guys use cassettes? Yeah, they were cassettes. The, I, oh, gosh. I still don't know. Like, I understand that it worked, but it seems crazy. It's arcane. Just magnetic <laughs> tape. It still works. The... What was the... I think... I I can't actually remember what the microbe was. I think it might have been five and a quarters. Okay. All right. Not sure. All right. Did you... Well, back up a little. Did you play a lot of the games in your ClickerVision? Like, did you get a whole bunch? Or I didn't. Because I, I got... I could pick one game for Christmas and one game for my birthday. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? I get that. And no one else had them. My dad was a bit of a gadget guy. Uh-huh. So, we had early things. You know, he had a Capro computer. It was like a computer that was basically a metal brick. You know what I mean? Okay. With a tiny screen. So, he had lots of early stuff. So, but I had a few and they would they would buy and I just had to keep playing over and over and over the same, the same game. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you were you playing in arcades like did that did that stuff appeal to you or yeah I had I went through a brief arcade phase it was mostly pinball I was a big fan of pinball but it's sort of that was that's the sort of 90s you know winners don't do, use drugs period of arcade games was yeah. my, my peak so you know lots of any cooperative games you know your Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles your you know your Simpsons Konami version all those sorts of uh, uh, X-Men um, you know multiplayer beat-em-up stuff I was I was big into those yeah yeah alright um, alright so you got your Micro beam. Micro B? B. B. Like a buzzing B. Micro yeah. B. All right. And uh, did you. Um, so was there an active game scene on the micro B? They had. I think they'd done like a bunch of. Pot- not really. I don't think so. I mean, but again, I didn't know anyone else with one. So I, I there might have been <laughs> that was completely not obvious to me. But uh, I had a bunch of games on that. But I was also using it for like word processing mm. and all the, the usual things that they could do. Yeah. Uh, so it was also to do homework on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Were you, I mean, were you into video games more than other things or was it just like... Um, I think at that point, so early in the early days, it was it was reading and video games. These were the two big things that I was into. And I, you know, I had a giant stack of sort of sci-fi novels and other things next right. to the bed. And it was that and video games. But they quickly took over. Like I was into, I remember being into Lego. Mm-hmm. You know, my mother said the other day, you know, you should get the Lego out from the basement and give it to your your kid, you know, because it's still lurking there. <laughs> still but there. I remember the, the exact moment I stared at my Lego that I had built and was frustrated that nothing happened right, right. you know and I think Just, that's you know. pretty much a, yeah, you know uh, the time that it crossed over and I, uh, video games were winning you know yeah. so that they, it was that like no, the video game pushes back and it's alive and it's a little you know a little simulated garden that I can poke around in whereas this is inert plastic and so yeah, yeah I think it's funny that they made such a comeback you know like I have friends at work now who are still building things out of Lego and I, I still have the same reaction I'm like you know we make video games They're like <laughs> way better I'm sorry yeah, tell you about something called Minecraft. Yeah, exactly. You can build it, and then little little dudes run around, and it's yeah. amazing. <laughs> uh, 
so what would have? I mean, I feel like at some point you either like you got your actually yourself a, actually a PC or an or an NES or like what? Happened? My love, my great love was the Amiga Five Hundred. Ah, great, the Amiga. Okay, excellent. <laughs> that's what that's what I had. Yeah, you're, you're hunting for the big hit. Yeah, yeah the yeah, Amiga Five Hundred. Other people had their Super Nintendos at the time, but Amiga Five Hundred was. Was 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 my great love, and you know it had so many such a breadth of software as well. How did you how did you you guys end up getting one? Like, did uh, one because it was like a you know interesting tech or like I I at that point I think I was still in the mode where Dad did the research and Dad yeah. told me, and I'm glad he picked the Omega, not the Atari ST. Sure, yeah. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, I think he he was still in that mode. He's like, I heard this thing's great. You know, and it has games on it. And I was super excited, and I needed a new PC for homework and stuff. So yep. I remember, I think, I think that was that was a that was a Christmas present. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, well, Amiga was an amazing game platform. Like, so what? So what? What, what were the games that did it for you on Amiga? Oh, I think the, it's such a breadth, which is interesting. You know, I I, I loved lots of stuff by Sensible Software. Mm. Um, so I'm not a sports gamer, but I love Sensible Soccer. Sensible Soccer. I hear. Unfortunately, uh, that's another one of those like. British person game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like no. Somehow it didn't make its way over here. Where well, it's it's, like, it's he's doing a new like, one. John here is doing a new one called Sensible Software. Uh, sensible Soccer. No, no, sorry. Sociable Soccer. Okay. Sorry. Right. And uh, it's coming out. Was really there something soon. special about it, or was it just like a good soccer game? Uh, it was a great game, um, and it did simulate the interesting tactics of soccer because it basically was, uh, you know, had, it, it had a similar innovation to, say, some platformers where it shrank the sprites down very, very small, okay. which meant you had a lot of peripheral awareness, and you could actually pass. So you could see the whole field, or a lot of the field. <laughs> yeah, and you could see lots of other players on your team, so you'd sort of, like, bounce the ball amongst you guys, and, and it would feel, feel like soccer. You would, you know, you would make a run down the line and then pass it across and actually could land a header or chip it around. And it was, you know, it was very tactile, simple controls, like one-button controls. Right. You know, like, hold it down to kick long, tap the button to, to pass. If you pointed at the uh, at a character, it would pass to him. If you pointed the goal, you would, you would take a shot. So it was easy to pick up, easy to play, and it had a lot of sort of... It was, it's essentially Rocket League. Okay. Rocket League is is sensible soccer, hmm. um, with the innovation of a car <laughs> yeah. for no apparent purpose. But uh, yeah, but the, the fun of the games is identical. Identical. Really? Okay. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Was it? Was it eleven on eleven though? Like yep. that many people running around? That's a lot of. Yep. And you could actually play co-op. Oh, cool. One screen with a buddy, like at the same time, and that was even better. So someone then you could actually lead to a position and hit them. So no, it was super great, and you could play versus. It was it was really cool. Yeah. All right. Well. Typically, I was playing like American football games yep. on my Amiga and like <laughs> Madden. You were playing Madden. You know that was on uh, the Genesis. Also, was, what did you call it? Though? I was playing uh, TV sports football, which is a Cinemaware. That Cinemaware is a great game. one too. So it came was, from the desert. TV sports basketball. I played a lot. That of. was good too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Cinemaware some great games. I loved Rocket Ranger. Yep, play that one. Um, yep. The but there's other ones like and then I was a big fan of the Bitmap Brothers. They were the cool oh, game yeah. devs. Yeah, they did Speedball, right? Speedball two, yeah. Xenon two. Uh, I even like Magic Pockets. Um, which is a strange one about a kid who like pulls things out. His, his weapons he throws out of like like whirlwinds and things out of his pocket. It was it was a arcade game, but Gods I was a, a huge fan of. Yeah. Chaos Engine I was a huge fan of. Yeah. I liked I liked Speedball. It was great. Yep. It was so fast. It was really fast. Well, wow. Speedball. If you like Speedball, you would you would actually like Sensible Soccer. It's okay. a funny one, you know. <laughs> Sensible Soccer is a better game than Speedball. All right. Well. Um, but I but also early ones. You know, things that were later transitioning more to PC. Like I think the best version of the first SimCity is on the Amiga. Yep. Um, sure. The version of Civ uh, uh, is on the Amiga. Right. Is great. It just looks better. The music sort of Bard's Tale, Eye of the Beholder, mm-hmm. um, Dungeon Master was great. Oh, Dungeon Master was great. Um, so many, there's just there's just so many. You know, it felt like, and you know, it's partly ignorance, partly you know, 
the booming of the the, the, the the early stages of the industry, but it felt like you were continually coming across new genres. Right. You know, like you would pick it like Sim City. I remember being at school and I, I've, I've apologized to Will Wright about this, but <laughs> uh, another kid said, I've got this game called Sim City. Yeah. And I said, what's it about? And he said, I can't tell you, but you just basically build a city. And I said, how can that be fun? And he said, <laughs> he said it just is. And I said, okay, copy it for me. Gosh. And so I took it home and it was, you know, I used to leave that thing running overnight because I didn't understand. I didn't know that you just had to type F-U-N-D-S to cheat. Oh, did you get money? Yeah, so that was that was a consistent uh, Maxis cheat for years. Wasn't everything burning down when you woke up? Sometimes, but I could kind of cordon it off. And usually you'd made more money than the repair cost. Yeah. So you could kind of, you know, and then, yeah. Uh, so that, like, That's actually a bit of my high-level problem with, like, SimCity-type games in general mm. is, like, once you get to a, like, net positive, like, at that point, you're just... Dial, you just dial a knob up. Yeah, it's a runaway. And then, like, here comes the money. And the game can throw random stuff at you, but at that point, like, is it really interesting or not? And well, like, but that's just it. And this is always one of the great divides, I think. And when, when I was at Maxis, it was certainly something we spoke about a lot. But mm-hmm. it was a realization to me that the 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 fun of a Maxis game is the... The, the narrative of your strategy, sure. not the actual strategy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're all strategically lumpy and busted and they don't really work, you know, yep. and there's usually a degenerative strategy. But because the narrative of your strategy doesn't fit with that, you would sort of break it yourself. Yep. So there's a room layout in The Sims that's the best layout, but no one ever does it, it because, it's, yeah. because it's pointless. You know what I mean? That's not why you're playing or how you're yeah. playing. Yeah. I mean, I, I love SimCity in, in back in the day. I mean, the first one I thought was amazing just because... I mean, geez, there was just nothing like it. No, it blew my, it literally blew my mind where I would sit there and I, I couldn't understand why it was so amazing. But uh, yeah, I, mean, I think I think we're revealing too the, the way we diverge mm. uh, from strategy. Whereas the thing that drove me crazy about SimCity was there was no point. Sure. Right? Yeah. So there was no, like, I wanted to, I wanted to have a, an end point that I could work towards, whereas you want strategic depth and options. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're diverging along personal taste lines on that. Yeah. And I think Will would have just stared blankly at both of us. And said, <laughs> like, what do you mean? I yeah. Mean, just, you know, like, I, I don't understand your question. <laughs> yeah, this is all about dynamics and cities and yeah, exactly. urban planning and so on and so forth. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Well, I know that, however, did you play Populous? I did. I never understood Populous. Like as a kid, okay. Populous was beyond me. And really? again, because I was pirating things, so like you know, at that it time, didn't, it didn't sink in. I couldn't quite figure it out. Okay, I was I, just raising and lowering land masses yeah, yeah, and yeah. burning people to death. And yeah, because I connected much more with Populous because like you had, yeah, you know, there was just such a clear thing that you were doing, and there was opposition. And like but the thing know. that I hated about all of the Molyneux games in that period was, especially you know, in black and white, is I, I became very possessive. This is where I veer back towards Maxis, where I became very possessive of the space. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want it to be just a game space. I would build my little village and you know, or whatever, or create the thing, and then they would make me transition to a new level, and and I would turn it off. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like I was like, like no, yeah, I, I just, my stuff. Right. I just built this beautiful thing. You know what I mean? Like don't don't make me chuck it away and start yep. again. Yeah. Yeah, it's for me, I've, I've had a long time trying to figure out, like, whether, like, so, you know, we worked on Spore, and then I was kind of moved on by the time they worked on SimCity, but, like, in my mind, I was, like, SimCity was one of the one of the pillar games of, of my, of growing up, like, Civilization or Populous or whatever, and, and, like, I worked on Civilization, and that worked out great because it totally matched with myself, but I also think that, like, I don't think I would have known what to do if I was going to, like, work on designing a new SimCity. Like, yeah, I got, I mean, I got, is, I got hired, I think we talked about it, but I got hired originally by Maxis in 2003, I guess, mm-hmm. to design SimCity for console. 
Okay. That was what lured me. I was getting like seminal game. I was like, holy smokes, you know what I mean? If I can, I can do this. And I wondered the same thing. I wonder if I would have pushed it in a direction of my own tastes right, yeah, and therefore yeah. murdered it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would probably make some sort of like competitive, you know, uh, competitive, tight, you know, hard to play game themed around a city, which would like totally be a bad match for what people want. Yeah, and I, yeah, and I would have I would have made a game where like there was like, you know, the goal was to to grow in size and that you couldn't turn off disasters and they were the pushback and right. it, you know would have driven you through and you had to like, you know, like strategize your way through. Yeah. yeah. Well, foreshadowing, I feel like all of this all of this will come up again when we get to spore. <laughs> yes, yes, for <laughs> sure, for sure. Oh. Cool. All right. So obviously you connected pretty heavy with the Amiga. Like at that point, video games were your thing, basically. Like, oh yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. I was. I, I mean, my mother said. How old were you at this point? Oh, core Amiga is probably early teens. Right. Okay. Uh, Are we the same age? Uh, well, I was 40 76. now. Seventy six. Yeah, we're exactly oh, the same right, age. Right, yeah, geez. bang on. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, so yeah, no, I, I I remember my mother saying that she was always happy to buy me a video game as a present because she knew I'd get use out of it. Mm, sure. Which is, I think, the parents' great dilemma buying something that's just, oh, great, and put in the corner. Yeah. Um, but that she, if she'd known just how much use I was getting out of it, <laughs> then she wouldn't have been happy. So, like, I would, I would yeah. She I would have bought you a lot more. Yeah, disappear <laughs> into my room and... and uh, and just you know, immerse myself much at the time to the to the detriment to to, to schoolwork and things. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I was pretty obsessive about about video games in that period. Yeah, I mean, I mean now now that I'm a parent, I can see directly like you buy a kid a physical toy. Some they like connect with a lot, mm-hmm. and some like twenty minutes and you're that's it. Yep. You know, where like a video game, it's kind of like amazing. It's like, hours of how entertainment. much you know you can like dive into it, um, and. There's really just nothing else like it. Um, I mean, you know, I, I think Minecraft is going to like fundamentally change like culture because yep. of like how much of an influence is going to be on you know the next generation and what they what they're just spend their time doing, right? Like, how can it not? I don't know what that means, but like, there's just no question. That's yeah, well, it's true. just embedded in. I think the first thing, you know. I was at a weird think tank this mm-hmm. week in right. LA. Excellent. Where the other guests were game developers. Uh, members of the defense community, <laughs> uh, the British ambassador, okay. and Zack Snyder. Excellent. And uh, it was very, very strange. And you, I realized chatting to them yet again, and I hadn't felt it in so long, but it was very familiar to me when I was young, the sort of I- embedded resistance to video games as a mm. cultural artifact right. amongst a certain age group. And I realized that, again, you know, I don't think, for instance, people who you know, thought rock and roll was the devil's music one day woke up and loved rock and roll. Yeah. I think they just passed away. They just died, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think the biggest impact is this generation is a non-question. Yep. You know, it's a cultural artifact. It's part of their lives and it's yeah, there. Totally. Because, we've, we've, you know, we had versions of Minecraft ourselves growing up, you know, yeah. and, and we had building games like SimCity or, you know, like we were, we were doing, creating things and telling our own stories with, with you know, Dungeons and Dragons as well. So, you know, I think yeah. it's just in the world now. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we were the kind of like first generation like growing up with it right and we're 40 now so and half, still, the, half the people and still you know? playing I know I, and I, and I <laughs> thankfully like, very rarely get the question of really you know what I mean I got the cab driver asked me the other day yeah, you know yeah. and I was just like oh, I'm sick of this question <laughs> 40 years of this question yeah yeah uh, well it's, it's only happens last that's for sure um, huh cool so did you think at all at this point about making video games I, I remember I used to, I started one GDC talk with that but I remember once there was a magazine an old magazines that I bought 
at the time about the Amiga were British magazines, and the best was Amiga Power. Yeah. But Zero was pretty good. The One was pretty good. And I think it was CU Amiga uh, uh, that had a cover disc, which was a tour of the Bullfrog offices, mm-hmm. um, and it was on a floppy. So it was like this cute little click on a desk, and it would sort of zoom across, and there was like a four-frame animation of a guy turning, you know, like a plump mm-hmm. British man turning in his his swivel chair, yeah. um, and it would do a pop-up and tell you what they did and all that sort of stuff. And that was the first time I remember thinking, we should have been obvious oh, wow, people do this for a living. You know, like people, yeah, they get paid and they have jobs and they get to think about it all day and it's not a bad thing, you know. Um, And then it was immediately followed by a wave of depression, realizing that I was a terrible artist and I couldn't program. Um, So I didn't, I I, I, I sort of had this wishful approach to it, but I didn't at that time think there was any feasibility of me getting into the business. Um, So what I did was I just started writing about games. Oh really? Because my dad's an uh, uh, an author and a journalist, and uh, uh, and he'd been doing it, you know, now for what for fifty years, and and so that was very believable to me. Right. You can write things and publish them. So I just started writing stuff and submitting it to British magazines. You were like fourteen. Yeah, like fourteen, thirteen, fourteen. Yeah, and so I had I had some stuff published, um, and some people were like cool. reviews or what type. Of no, because I couldn't do reviews because they were time sensitive. So I just started already then trying to write like articles about stuff. So I wrote guides occasionally. Oh yeah. Okay. So I wrote a guide for. Which games? Uh, sensible soccer. Sensible soccer. Uh, Keeps coming up. And they called me that little Aussie dribbler when they republished it. That was all. They didn't tell me they published it. They never sent me anything. I uh, thought at least I'd get a T-shirt. But Amiga Action at the time turned out to not to be the nicest people. And they, uh, they didn't give you anything. Nothing. They didn't even tell me they ran it. I found it at a friend's house, <laughs> like the cover booklet. Wait, when you say they called you the little Aussie, maybe they didn't use your name. Yeah, no, they wrote my name in the in the booklet. But then they sort of they sort of rewrote what I wrote. Because remember, I had to submit this. It's pre-internet, so I had to submit this on like printed out, yeah. you know, like awful purple colored like text and send it so in. So they, they would have retyped. They had to retype it in. Whatever they want. To yeah, do, exactly. Yeah. They mess around with it. But uh, uh, so yeah, I just found a friend's house. And he's like, oh yeah, I read your thing. It was pretty cool. And I was like, oh, can I keep your your copy? So I, <laughs> I keep your copy. I, and I still have it. I think to this day. Yeah. Well, that's. Cool. There you go. So would you you kept doing that though? Like I tried very hard, and I I started covering like. Um, like digital entertainment a bit for like local magazines and stuff and you know I was trying to make some money with that and I was you know doing my masters in, in English in, in creative writing so it was like sort of crossover uh, uh, stuff um, and then at a certain point a friend sent me and this is you can date everything we'll use you know like monster.com linked mm-hmm. to uh, uh a uh, game designer job and I read it and it sounded 75% like writing you know what I mean like I was like this sounds yes I think I can actually make a case for yeah. this um, and was fortunate enough that it was pre anyone having had that job so yeah. they they let me interview for it and uh, uh, and gave me it yeah are you are you a good writer uh, I, I in the great scheme of things no I better than you know it's like one of those uncomfortable bits where you're better than most Almost, but right. yeah the, the, at the at the pointy end uh, probably not good enough um, but uh, but so you yeah. never thought of becoming like a pure writer. I wanted to, but I just I think yeah, it's like it's like wanting to be an NBA player. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you you learn pretty quick that you go fast at the start and then you 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 hit a line. Maybe if in you know years gone by when there were actual editors being paid to edit your stuff and could mentor you, mm-hmm. um, and there was a lot more writing being published, there would have been something to grow into. But uh, yeah. it's a nasty business these days. Yeah, yeah. I mean nowadays, if you're a kid, I'm sure there are a lot of sites that would have sucked up your writing. Yeah, like is that maybe that now that's the same thing in games, right? Like there's you know online and there's self publishing and things which yeah, just yeah. didn't exist back in the back in the the, yeah. the gray old days of the nineties. Yeah, I mean you can definitely get your words out there somewhere now, but you know. And then you can get you can mean? get someone elected president, so then everything's great. <laughs> yes. Um, 
This will be a there'll be a less timely remark. Yeah, that won't be humorous. That's a, that's a joke. But yeah, in 2020, it'll just be a sad in your in your concrete nuclear bunker that you now live in, and the only joy you have is those strange you know podcasts that, yeah. that Soren releases every. We'll, we'll know everything works out if you actually listen to this podcast. <laughs> this is like a bit of a time capsule. Uh, um, so uh, okay, so you saw you saw an ad for a designer, and you're like, okay, this sounds plausible. Mm. So then, what did you what did you I mean. What did you think then, necessarily? Uh, then I, I remember going in and, I, well, do you mean in the interview process or in the... When oh, I so you actually, you applied for the job then. Yeah, I applied for the job and were I was just you, like, okay. You were still in high school, right? Uh, no, no, this one, I saw the job eventually. That interview is, no, I was in college. So oh, I was in, in like in early 20s at that point. Oh, okay. Um, well, we should maybe back up at least. All right. Then. All right. So you, you went to, you, you weren't necessarily sure what you were going to do, but you liked writing. Yep. You went to college um, in Australia, yep. right? Okay. And what were you, were you studying? I did, uh, I <laughs> I, I, no one really decided to give me a lot of advice. It's not like TV, you know what I mean? It's not like Growing Pains yeah, yeah, where, yeah. where someone, the dad says, you know that education is a gift and one should think <laughs> My parents were pretty open. They were very supportive and very yeah. cool about everything and maybe a bit too cool because like, <laughs> I remember deciding that. arbitrarily to be an archaeologist. Uh, okay. And so then I did my bachelor's degree See, with honors that sounds here. much more plausible than game designer. Right? Yeah, I know. Well, I get an equally... <laughs> foolish um, I don't know based on what I think it sounded interesting you know yeah. what I mean it didn't sound like a horrible job you know that was repetitive and dull sure. and great yeah, yeah. so I was like you know it could be fun you get to travel so I did this I didn't realize that they live to 90 because they're quite spry they, mm. they're fit you know they sure. exercise and travel they have wonderful tans yeah and there's not many jobs so they, they no. really there's no spots but anyway so I did <laughs> I did a bachelor's degree with an honors year in archaeology and classical studies and then I got to the end of that and I thought wow I should have done writing because I thought I won't do writing because I'm doing it. You know, like for me, yeah. the logic seemed good that, you know, I, why do a degree in the thing you're doing? And then by the end of it, I realized that's exactly why you should do the degree in it. Because right. you make contacts and you get, get the, you get support. And yeah. So I did my master's in in uh, in creative writing. And oh, then, okay. uh, yeah, and then and there was that was a, it. Was it during this period that you applied for your job then? Yes. So right at the end of that, I applied. I was briefly took a job <laughs> writing um, sports copy. For uh, for a website, uh, so I was writing, I was covering, you know, sporting events and and uh, that sort of stuff. So very briefly, I'm um, working on all that sort of stuff, and uh, uh, and then saw the job offer there, and and, and luckily got it. What was the company? Uh, the company was Taurus Games. So a little handheld games studio in Australia that was doing a lot of uh, Game Boy uh, game development at the start. So the cool thing about that was it was the best crash course possible in game development because we were doing a game in two to three months mm-hmm. over How and over you, again. Let me back up the interview. How did you prove that you were like a game designer? Like, I don't think that's like one of the things like people will ask me yeah. that. And usually I just say, hey, look, either learn to program or learn to do art. Like, you know, I think that's true just, now for sure. And I th- but I think writing is the other way. Like I know, yeah, you know, sure. some people like, you know, structured thinking and being able to lay out an idea and communicate an idea to other people and rally people around an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I think are consistent skills across, uh, you know, across those. Um, I was lucky in that they didn't have any really you know what I mean and so they didn't really know what it was so they were interviewing I think more for people just than some people yeah, yeah and so they because they, like that kind of the idea of like the the open game design job for like a junior person who just gets it without any experience is like is insane <laughs> no I know and it's, uh, it's not the thing that normally happens no and I think well I mean and part of that was I mean that job was very challenging right yeah. like it was it was also a job one of the reasons I got it was no senior designer wanted <laughs> no it in the right mind right no and I didn't realize and so I was super excited 
and worked 80 hour weeks and you know and you know and did everything I could to learn as fast as possible from from much smarter people than than I you know in programming and art and all that sort of stuff and I loved it I loved every second of it until uh, the, the very so end. So what but, were you what were you doing like how did you what that was you when you started there then? Uh, well, I, first I sat down. I was like, well, someone tell me what you need. You know, like yeah. this or that. And then it was like, we don't know. Just document the game. <laughs> I was like, huh? So it was it was it was like trying to invent a, a shape for like structuring a design bible. And this is the days of giant paper design, yeah. which right. I would. I shudder to recall, but uh, you know, like trying to sit down and well, how would you break out a game and how would you describe it and doing it awfully and wrong and and this was before they were building the game. Yep. Okay. Yep. So basically, the phone would ring and Activision would say a version of we signed a deal with Marvel to do three, you know, licensed games, and if we don't do them by Christmas, we have a penalty clause, and we realized it's September and we've done two. Okay. And so we had to bang out a game. You know, we had some proprietary engines. What's, what's and, the device? Where are you making it for? Well, there's Game Boy Advance at this point. Game Boy Advance. Right as the Advance Game Boy Advance launched. Okay. Um, and so you know, we would bang out a game in two, three months. What type of them. games were these? Uh, like they were uh, that, adventure games like they were, a platform or something that little platformers a lot of the good ones were platformers we did Duke Nukem Advance which was actually a 2.5D game on the Game Boy Advance which was mm-hmm. pretty great tech from the guys there uh, we did a very misguided game that I designed for, based on the Steven Spielberg movie Minority Report really? where wow. it was 2D but isometric and you could take cover and like like sort of pop out and take pot shots at people it was like you know it, it was it was crazy ideas we shouldn't have been tried but we were going so fast you'd sort of put down your first idea and that would be what shipped you know two right. months later it was crazy so you would you would write the stuff that you would you'd write these ideas down and then you'd throw it over the wall to pretty much the engineers come in and then we'd bounce it back and forth and usually then I'd switch over to building levels you know what I mean okay, like I'd actually right. be building levels for it as well and then you know sometimes be writing the dialogue for it and then write copy for it and go back and then we didn't have test teams so we then we'd test it and you know there'd be the one or two guys at Activision in Santa Monica who didn't care because they they only cared about the the high-end version of the game they were working on and we were doing the the handheld version which they just needed to get out the door at that time you know yeah, we have a contractual obligation. Yeah, exactly. Or oh, we've agreed to support it. I don't even yeah. know. Why. I don't know why they were doing half of them, to be honest. Yeah. And you had, like, how much How much time would you normally work? Two to three in? months. Two to three months. Okay. Yeah, it was pretty nuts. But the thing is, then I did, so I did, I worked on about seven were you guys games. building in, like, some sort of engine where, you, like, you were just making more content to something already works? Because the idea of just making any game in three months. <laughs> we did both. So sometimes, really foolishly, we didn't even consistently apply our engine. Um, but we had a great, actually, 2D engine for that, which was most of it, where it was kind of like, uh, you know, it, it was a bit like drawing out a game as a kid on graph paper, but okay. I could set attributes. So this, you can go through, this, you can't go through, this this is a, oh, okay. a boost. And you could apply um, functions to them as well. So I could build in gray. Uh, box uh, a whole level with mechanics in it, which the artist would then go through and and paint over essentially. Okay. So so sometimes it was it was really it was really a lot of fun. Okay, so you guys had a system. I yeah, mean, you had something that like you know later would be what like. I don't know. I was a little big planet, but like that type of thing. Of like- yeah, exactly. You could have. I mean, if we'd been smarter and more mature at that time, we really could have rolled it. I think into something cool, but it just seemed like a way. Instead of that, you know, vision, it was designed to to execute really quickly for Activision, so that we could pull contracts. Right. Wow. Cool. Um, what did you think you were doing at the time? Were you just like? I'm so excited to be making video games and end of the sentence or was like, did you have other things that like you were, you wanted to get to? Uh, I wanted to make better games <laughs> and bigger games, um, but I felt very honored to be allowed to do it. I was aware at least, I guess, and that 
I got very lucky, you know, mm. to get in the door and people were very generous. They've always, I've been very fortunate that over and over again, people have been very, very generous with their time and their, their abilities. Um, so I was able to learn fast, but it became frustra- frustrating quite quickly, you know, so sort of like a year and a bit in, once I'd gotten my head around what we were doing, I realized that it was deeply problematic. And, you know, at the time being very, you know, well, still being a very loud person and the time being a very... <laughs> Um, angry young man uh, uh, it got sort of pretty pretty um, difficult pretty fast I can imagine (laughs) Uh, okay so you said the end like did you did the company shut down no they're still in business that's the thing yeah I think they're you know but yeah no they went for three years and they ended up doing some console games and you know they've you know they've survived for like gosh I guess you know 20 years now you know so their their advice for an independent studio is 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 really great Uh, no I got towards the end and I realized someone I was working with I pitched a PS2 game along the way and we got it from a company at the time BAM Entertainment Mm -hmm. um, who were awful Uh, went out of business very very quickly but during that period they were signing again companies they shouldn't have been signing because mm-hmm. no real company wanted to work with them. So we got this deal, but I didn't know that at the time. And this was, this was a, a, you know, leaps and bounds more complex than what we'd been doing. And we failed hard mm-hmm. um, at trying to figure was it out. Was that your guys' first full console yeah. game? Yeah, we, we got one of the earliest PS2s into Australia. And, I, you know, I remember walking past a, a buddy Stu McVicker's desk and he had like a, a, a cube rotating with a light on it. That's that, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's the level. And we were, you know, we were trying to make things work. I licensed the wrong technology, you know, I didn't have people skilled in 3D, you know, I was way yeah. too junior to take on well, a project. That's a, that's a this. big leap if you guys didn't even work on no. it. No, and we just, we just floundered and then I realized like I, I, I needed to go somewhere with more experienced people to, to teach me, you know, my job. Uh, and I was fortunate enough that at that time the producer we'd had on that PS2 game had gone to EA um, and he hooked me up with uh, interviews in, in, in California at, at ELA, Maxis and uh, somewhere else. And uh, and and yeah, and, and landed at Maxis bizarrely. Okay, cool. And this would have been what year? Two thousand three. Two thousand three. Okay. Um, and you had been you'd worked at Taurus for like two or three years. Yeah, not that long, like a couple of years. Yeah, like so years. that yeah, like two years in the end. I think it was. Right. It was really quick. Feels like a mil- when I think of what happened in it, sure, it feels right. like ten years. But I think it was it was really quite short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you were at Electronic Arts. I mean, that's. That's pretty good. It was pretty nuts, <laughs> to be honest. To actually, yeah, because I know also I think I went from like making you know basically minimum wage as yeah. well. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think because the beauty of uh, the H one B visa mm-hmm. is that because it's an expert's visa they're obliged to pay you a certain amount oh really so I actually got a real salary when I got here so yeah, it was yeah. it was an amazing feeling and then you're surrounded by people who are you know at the time I was pretty much immediately working with Bob Flanagan you know what I mean mm-hmm. who was one of the two engineers on Gauntlet 2 and yeah. you know what I mean like all this so, so these sort of industry luminaries which was it was just an, it was just another world for me and we say Maxis were you at Walnut Creek at that point like it was yeah like- we got, went straight into Walnut Creek and like I said I was hired to work on SimCity console okay uh, which they cancelled on the plane while I was on the plane oh, <laughs> So I landed and I was immediately brought into a room and they, like, they do said, I still have a job? yeah, they said, do you still want the job? And I was like, I sold all my possessions and like <laughs> <laughs> broke up with my girlfriend. I like, I literally have nothing. Yeah. So yeah, what do you want me to do? Give me a shovel. I'll plant some things in the, yeah, yeah. in the, in the, you know, in the yard. Wow. That's true. They did make a SimCity console game, but like. Um, this was another version of it, I suppose. Yeah, I guess. Right? Did they really? There was like a Super Nintendo. Or oh yeah, that one. Yeah, this that, is the that's one. That's a whole. That's like ten years. This before. is like this I just like, like thinking it through in my head. I guess no. there are every every X number of years. I still kind of want to make that game. I sure. still have an idea in my head that I would like to. I would like to try, but yeah, foolish. 
So you would have been just you know you've been a junior designer on their yep. SimCity console game. Yep. So I, what they what did you do instead then? Well, they came in. They said, "Do you want to keep the job?" And I said, "Yes, please." Uh-huh. Uh, and then they put me on this new Sony tech, which became the PSP. Okay. Which made sense, you know. I'd done handheld games yep. before and like all that sort of stuff, and so I was like, "All right." So we we're working away on design for that. Um, and my pitch again, because they didn't really know what to do with it, I was like, "Let's make." If, you know, The Sims is a joke about suburbia, mm-hmm. you know, and the sort of, you know, the, the, the shopping mall, you know, work, buy, die loop. Yeah. Uh, uh, then why don't we make a joke about, you know, businesses and urban life, mm-hmm. you know? So it was sort of a nascent idea and there's still some fun in it. And we worked on that. And then Sony delayed the PSP and uh, they said, well, we're not doing that anymore. But the console version, the new console game is in trouble and they've been borrowing all the ideas from the PSP version. So why don't you join them and help them ship what eventually became the Herbs uh, Sims in the City, which is, and you're getting it out of me on the podcast, but the only game I I just dumped from my CV. (laughs) (laughs) You tried to erase it, but the stains stains will come off. And and the the beauty of the internet is sometimes it pops up and you see, they must have been kids when it came out. It wasn't a terrible game. It was just a misguided and misjudged uh, and you know uh, but then they're like oh I love this game I played it when I was good I was like oh my god someone loves everything yeah, you know what I mean true. like someone loves it's, everything it's totally true mm. what were you I mean what were you actually doing on that project like, so eventually I became they, because I was lead designer on the PSP version they pulled me across as co-lead designer on the okay. on the on the PS2 version so it was trying to figure out on one hand how to translate uh, you know this very PC centric, you know, mouse and keyboard game across to, you know, they'd done a previous version of, the, of, of, of um, you know, the Sims on console, but we were sort of saying, can we make it even more direct control? Can we make a more, you know, appropriate was the word version uh, uh, for you, a console. Would you drive characters? Yeah, you drove characters same, around. Basically? We kept a bit of it for Sims 2, which is a much better game. The Sims 2 console version is a much better game, but you could switch to cursor mode as well. So you could sort of pop back and forth. You could like grab a Sim and drive them around, right. or you could be a cursor and order them around. And when you let them go, they would go back to sort of simulate. So Sims 2 actually think is a really terrific version of the Sims for, for, for a console. But the herbs was, we went a bit too hard, you know, in to the, the realm of trying to make it work somewhere else but we're still hamstrung you by mean outside of the house yeah yeah or even just and just you know more direct control and therefore we lost a lot of what you know makes the sims great mm-hmm. um and at the same time weren't able to put in new things that might have made this new thing great because we were still trying to you know hold on to sort the of these you know sims stuff. values yeah, yeah exactly all right. Were you a fan of The Sims before you got this? Like- I was a huge fan of Sim City, but I wasn't a huge fan of The Sims. Right. Okay. Um, so it was it was fascinating to me. I did learn to love it. Like that, that was the interesting thing about working on it for for several years is once I started seeing it as a little clockwork village, mm-hmm. then I fell in love with it. Okay. I was never a storytelling player. You know, I didn't sort of try and tell a story with it. But the idea that these were, you know, little clockwork people going around their lives and interacting with objects that you could move and, you know, and and, and, and rearrange and, and sort of redesign and seeing what happened, then I, that bit I always loved. Yeah. Yeah, I can only play The Sims for a couple hours. And I think the success of it, like if I think back, is one of the, one of the key moments when I realized that, like, games, there are games for different personalities, Right, like there were games I didn't play when I was younger, but that might be because I just I wasn't good enough, yep. or I didn't have the time to play some hugely lengthy you know JRPG or something. But like for each of those games, I understood the theory of like 
okay, I could imagine like, why you would game. play it. Like maybe like I, you know, I just you know, I'm not coordinated enough, or yeah, like I just you know, I, you know for whatever reason I just got a different path. But like The Sims was, was like the first game that was like this huge hit where I fundamentally was like, I don't this get is, it. This is not a game for me. Yeah. And I guess that's you know that's what's happening in video games, right? Like yeah, it's, it's great. It's and I, I'm, beyond. I'm reminded of an interview. You know, as a big science fiction reader, as we spoke about, and I'm reminded of an interview I read with Harlan Ellison, and he said something along the lines, and I'll get the years wrong, but the the intent will be the same. But he was like, in 1965, I could read every science fiction book mm. released that year. Sure. Yeah. You know, or maybe it was early. It's probably earlier. It's probably like in 55, I could read it, and by 65, I couldn't read any of them you know what I mean like I'm reading 1% you know yeah, and now he's yeah. like and I think the same thing is true of games like I remember you know there's a period where I think I played every important game ever released yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know and nowadays like there's there's entire areas of games I've had to just sort of cut loose you know like I'm not a big mobile phone you know uh, uh, gamer you know like you know even on the strategy side I play way less you probably the, your entire catalog mm-hmm. of games that you play day to day I play a very a small sliver and sure. on my side the action adventure sort of you know uh, uh, RPG sort of side you probably do the same thing so yeah you have to really really special yeah yeah it's 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 kind of crazy now and um i don't know i also often wonder about like publications like how do they put because i assume it's the same is true for players you know like as well right you know beyond developers and like when publications put together top 10 lists like do they just sort of like well you get one slot and you get one slot <laughs> like because there's just it's so splintered now yeah and also it's i think crazy. it's it's become a little bit of a popularity contest which has been true of writing for many years you mm-hmm. know so you see the same names coming up and the same you know people going around the same games because because the people they they pretend that this is a survey of the industry and they've selected the best but really they just chose the thing they already liked mm-hmm. you know and put it in that slot so yeah i'm, I'm a bit tired by award shows <laughs> <laughs> yeah um all right, cool. So what happened after the herbs? Well, so that was the end of the dark days, as we call it, the dark period. Yeah. Uh, so I was fortunate enough in that, yeah, the game actually did actually made quite a lot of money, ironically. All right. Well, uh, but, uh, you know, and it was 16 as I was 16 was as that, having... Was that really the first Sims product on the console? No, there was uh, two before it. There oh, was okay. Sims uh, and Sims Busting Out. Okay. Um, on the on the console, okay. and they both were big hits. Actually, they were like you know, and you know, and credit to Bing Gordon who protected it for a long time. Maxis didn't never wanted to make the console games, yeah. and Bing Gordon had created this little division, you know, alongside that mm-hmm. that that, uh, that put together. They were very very popular, um, and done very very fast with not very many people. Um, but they were very profitable projects, and yeah. you know, I've seen it as having been an effective firefighter and getting this game out and putting it together. And I was starting to, you know, get my my feet under me at EA mm-hmm. um, politically, and you know how the systems worked and how they documented things. And it was a great learning environment for that sort of stuff for production specifically. Um, I see Ubisoft for me is a much better learning environment for for design. Mm-hmm. But EA was a great place to learn production. Sure. Um, and so because of that, that team rolled on to Sims Two on console, yeah. um, and uh, they they gave it to me alone. Um, and I think. We we were able to make a really good game that time you know like we actually had experience on it we'd sort of gone through the ringer you know probably would have been better to say try the herbs and dump it and then just make things tims too with a, you know a bit of bigger version but um so we moved yeah we moved on to that one was that when was the dead sims 2 already come out at that point for the pc yes okay. we followed it i think it was a year i guess i can't remember okay were you did you try to play pretty close to it or were you guys kind of more free to like that one we tried to go back, so we made a lot of changes. So we were sort of undoing some stuff we'd done on herbs, and we were we. I think we had a good handle as a team on what what made the Sims too successful, and we tried very earnestly to make a version that was as close as we could humanly get, mm-hmm. not to the content. I mean, it's all new content, all new objects and interactions, and you know, c- you know, create a sim and 
all that sort of stuff, but to be very true to the spirit of the game, that it was a little sandbox that, you know, you were building up, uh, um, you know, with, with peace and telling your own story, you know, uh, but at the same time, we had sort of structured environments where, you know, you, you had to achieve certain secondary goals with the character. So, you know, if you imagine sort of the, you know, the wants and fears system or the, you know, the sort of career paths of characters, we would set not... Uh, you know, objectives but goals for the character like they had hopes and dreams they wanted to be an astronaut and own all, own a great stereo or whatever it was and so you sort of had a structure that if you wanted to unlock new playgrounds mm-hmm. you had to go through but I think in spirit that was still a very uh, it was an authentic Sims game right what were you doing that like I mean how much of it was just like hey it's the Sims and it works on your console and like what was it like we're doing some things that like are you know what, what, were the, what was your theory about like just take advantage of the fact that this is a console like. Yeah, so the big, the biggest change on all of the console games that we tried to put in was to give more structure to players. You know, that audience we felt, mm-hmm. you know, wanted to have a bit more shape and structure, you know, okay. to the to the freeform nature of it. But we tried not to impinge on the the fact that you could do it any way you wanted. So we would set goal, not the paths to goals, but actual goals. Okay, was um, that not? And that wasn't in Sims Two for the PC. No, like, yeah, there were goals? rewards, but there were no there were no goals okay. in, in Sims from the PC. These so, are kind of like quests or missions. Or a little bit like yeah, like quests, like aspirational quests. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, and you you you'd have a character, and they would just suddenly start appearing, and like, well, you'd build you'd build your own character, and they would essentially move into a new new lot. Uh, uh, and the other people there generally would have host news that you could facilitate and then your character would migrate to the new locations or could backtrack and so you'd open up this sort of you know town worth of different homes and locations that you could you could build out um, some of which already had people in them some of which didn't you know and 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 across the course of that you would you know you would unlock all the different content that you could then go into sort of a free play mode and just build you know build houses okay so all the different goal paths or whatever was like based off of all the different people you would meet, sort yeah, of? Okay. exactly, exactly. And then obviously we had to do all this, the sheer production work of, you know, it was all new objects and, you know, uh, you, you know, we were spiritually aligned with, you know, try to give players more customization options, but it's a different platform with really harsh RAM restrictions and, yeah. you know, all that sort of stuff. So we couldn't do basements, you know, we couldn't do all kinds of fun things that people wanted. So we had to give other ways to customize houses and other ways to sort of build, build, yeah. build them out. Now, when you say um, when you say that you believed that the console players needed more structure and you need goals and yep. things, did you validate that theory at all when you were developing it? Did you, you guys have a way to test that, or was that like that was your hunch and the product did well? Yeah, it was pretty much. I mean, it was the the, the that desire, the two desires that predated me, which I think I was probably too junior to fight mm-hmm. um, authentically at the time, were that that console players needed direction and structure and that they probably wanted direct control of the the character okay so So, that was just an assumption that was baked into the team exactly it was already there and i think from on high you know what i mean i think it came down through ea um to 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 do it yeah and do you agree with it did you agree with that uh at the time you know as a good soldier uh uh you know i accepted it looking back I think only with the last one. With those, we didn't achieve it. But with Sims 2, we achieved a version which you could engage with it if you wanted, but you didn't have to. So, so I think it was it was a, it was a nice marriage of that idea of the possibility of that idea, right. um, without us sort of ramming it down your down your throat. But no, I think realistically, you know, we didn't need it. We didn't need it for console players at all. I think they would have accepted it without any structure. Yeah, yeah, it's. Um I feel like there's there's been a big change. It's hard to define this exactly, but I feel like there's definitely been a big change in the industry in terms of like actually having to prove what you believe 
and like that just didn't wasn't like, no there was no data yeah like there was, they, no, they, there was no time and there was no way to get the data and like no you know so you know basically you know various executives had various hunches and like you you know the one whose hunch turned out to be the best ended up you know doing well products yeah know? and then they and they were such powerful figures at the time the execs as well so they could roll over your project and just arbitrarily say green and you were you were going to have to make a green yep yep yeah, I remember. I mean, I I was I was at uh, uh, River Shores as an intern in '99 and 2000, mm-hmm. and like I was not on like Knockout Kings or Knockout Kings. There you go. There you go. Right. Uh, my well, I'm not I'm not trying to erase that for my CV, but most people don't remember that. No, <laughs> it was the strategy of the punching that you really enjoyed. Yeah, yeah they all put it together. Um, but yeah, I remember like you know you, you get the executive would come by every few weeks, and like you know it was the it was the typical joke of like make it more blue, you know. And, like, yeah, well, actually, I think it was always that whatever they were playing at the time yeah, had yeah. to go in. So I remember when they were playing a lot of Diablo, they came to us on The Sims and said, could you put treasure chests in? Would treasure... And I was like, I was losing my mind. You know what I mean? I was like, literally like, this is this is insane. Or wow, they were playing a lot of wow at yeah. the time. You know what I mean? It's the same sort of thing. You know, it's like, uh, guilds, can guilds go in? And you're like, oh my God, you know? Focus, focus. Focus. Get back to your chicken wings. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So when did Sim Two? When did Sims Two come out on console? That was uh, I guess two thousand and five, two thousand six. I I think <laughs> it's, it's, we're in the, the midst of time pleasant. now. Yeah. Okay. Is so it was Spore next? Is that yeah, and then it was after Spore. So then I realized like I wanted to get off the. <sighs> yeah. What did you want to do with your career? Like, well, what, at that what point, did you think at that point, I like, did, you know, I really it was like a journeyman project, and I think my career is unusual, ironic for someone who's still able to do it. In that, uh, usually you either get to start at the top and stay at the top or you get ground out in the video game industry. There's not many people who manage to like work their way up. And I was aware that I had a lot of ground to cover and I had to learn and grow. Um, and so I was just trying to get from I, whatever project I was on now to a better project, yeah. you know, and a better project meant, you know, smarter team, you know, better, better, you know, conditions um, and bigger usually, hope, you know, hopefully. And luckily I, I, I chatted to Lucy Bradshaw um, uh, and and she was interested, and I just wanted to get onto onto something big and exciting and new. And what that did, what did you know, what did you know about Spore before you joined? We'd had at Maxis a couple of demos from Will of very early stuff, you know, like a gray blob rolling around. You know what I mean? And it's and it's the Will Wright show. You know what I mean? He's he would then talk about the blob, and it was it, you know exciting, and you know you know it was it you know and he I'd, he'd been a men, you know sorry a. Uh, you know, someone I've been massively impressed by since I was 12. Yep. You know what I mean? So, yep. so he, seeing him do it in the flesh and all that, I was just like, I want to get on that. Yep. No matter what you're doing, I just want to get on that, and then I'll do, I'll, I'll, I'll take out garbage. It's fine. You right. know. Yeah. Was this before the GDC reveal? Yeah. Okay. Uh, was it? Yes. Yes. Yep. Just. Just, okay. yeah, we started that conversation. Okay. So then you're like mind blown. You know, if I can get onto that and help with it, then then please right. let me. Yeah. And I was at the right level for that sort of stuff. You know what I mean? It was like right. they needed more designers. Needed designers and... Yeah, and it was right. funny because everyone must think that it would just be people like us wanting to get on. But it was actually pretty even split at EA at the time. The rumor around EA was it was batshit and, and it wasn't going to ship. So okay. lots of people were turning it down at mm. the same time. So it was both this weird core of us going, that's crazy, let's do it. And then there was this other group saying, especially engineers, saying they can't articulate clearly what they want. <laughs> uh, uh, it'll never ship. I'm just going to burn my brain and and I don't want to go. Well, the engineers had a point. Uh, <laughs> but uh, 
That's interesting. I wonder if why that's why they pulled in so many people outside of EA for it. I mean, like, I mean, I was part of that basically, but like, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the people that they had some really smart people on the team that they just pulled over from all sorts of places because when that when that GC presentation came out, I mean, everyone was just everyone amazed, went go right? yeah everyone gaga over it. No, exactly, and I yeah I don't I don't know I think. Yeah, it was an eclectic group, but like you've said before, I think it was one of the smartest groups. Oh yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, that you that can pull together, and everyone's still working, which is, I guess, the testament <laughs> to to that. Um, but it was also they they favored brains over cohesion. Yeah, you know, um, and I mean that in terms of cohesion of style, of, of vision, of of development process, um, and in, and that is very problematic. And that was my big learning from that project, apart from a lot of you know specific designing sorts of things, is. Uh, consistency is key and you need to hire against that vision and you need to you know you need to treasure it and 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 hold on to it um and yeah you'll need to change it it's not that you don't change your mind or evolve but that everyone needs to be running in the same direction all the time yeah everyone has just a slightly different version of what game they thought we were right and the only person who could have stopped it and made it work was will and he was never interested in that idea at all right you he know it was almost interesting the opposite you know he was like this is fascinating yeah Look i think all these diverse people who i've brought on board they're so smart they'll you know this will and that had happened historically yeah. and what had happened historically and that's what i realized and perhaps if you and i had known that at the time we could have done something different but <laughs> historically you know like on the sims it was a guy called charles london who okay. came in at the end at the point that will often gets distracted and bored mm-hmm. and just said it's this cut this cut this right. no Oh, yes, blah, 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 and, and pushed it out the door. Um, and so I took all the best of the stuff that had been done to that point and got it out. Um, it was exponentially harder on Spore because we had five games where we could have done that. So any big movement, which was traditional in a Maxis game, mm-hmm. um, was much harder because it connected to things. You know, there was there was inputs and outputs to each stage. Um, whereas, you know, on The Sims, uh, you could radically change everything up until the last day yeah. and the game still worked as right. well as it worked before. So I think we were constrained by that. Um, and also none of us after that GDC presentation had any, you know, desire or opportunity or ability to come in and sort of, you know, take over and say, that's it. Right. You know, we're running in this direction now. Yeah. We need to massively scale down this or whatever. Exactly. We're just cutting two of these phases. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I, I'm, so I'd be curious to get exactly when you got on board because I'm trying to remember. I think it was just me. post that GDC. So I started, it would have been... Ugh. Uh, 2007. I would have started around April 2007. I think I'd been there six months or so at that when point. When I came on board? Yeah, or nine months or something. Something like that. Somewhere around that. All right. So, and so when you came on board, what did you see like right off the bat? There was nothing. <laughs> nothing. Like I'd heard about this thing. I'd seen this demo. I walked on. There was absolutely nothing except the editor, which was even at that stage. Kind so did of you magical. have a... Did you have a long Hitchcock Zoom moment then? I had, like, a, I had you... a few palpitations. Because <laughs> remember this when I'm still on a visa too. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I am easy deported. Like Trump would have me gone. You know what I mean? Like I was, I was taking the jobs of the the hardworking Johnson family. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah right. Uh, uh, so, so I was like, oh god. And then the, but worse than that, I mean, I've been on what did they burning have? ships before? I mean, they had, they had uh, the editors. Obviously. The editors partially working but enough that you were like oh this is fine this was production now to make this work you know okay. what I mean like and that you could like stretch out a creature and it would still walk you could do a bunch of interesting yeah. ways yeah 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 like checker stuff on the you know yeah. the walking and stuff was, was working enough it not really right all this you know the second 90% as the cliche goes was not right. there but uh, it was enough that you, saw, you thought that's gonna be fine 
Yeah. But on, in, in, in terms of a game, they had a bunch of disconnected, half-thought-out documents and charts, um, a few Petri dish demos of things that didn't really go anywhere, mm-hmm. um, and a big gray sphere that you could kind of walk around on, which was the planet. Yeah. And that was it. Um, and the worst part, though, was... I, w- I thought I was joining a team in mid-production, you mm-hmm. know? So I was like, all right, so tell me, you know, let's let's run through everything, explain to me each phase and we'll go through it and, right. you know, and then I will help you execute this. And yeah. what I realized my job actually would become is take everything you can and try to put together the best game possible right. <laughs> uh, uh, with all of these pieces and adding anything that you want. Um, but they were both uh, resistant to change and unclear. <laughs> which was the real danger um, they knew things they wanted they didn't really know why like five different games yeah it'll just be cool and you're like it's, just be cool. it's five different control <laughs> schemes back to back to back you know oh, what I mean like oh, yeah, I was just yeah. melting my brain and I, in the end I think we kind of made that bit work that bit nearly killed me like trying to say I was told two constraints one it's five different games mm-hmm. uh, they all have to use one mouse button <laughs> uh, and they're going to go back to back to back right, right. and you're going to inherit all the stuff from the previous one, even though they're five different games. Yep. And that bit I think we actually got working it in, which is a minor miracle. Like yep. you can play the damn thing, you know, from end to end. Um, but uh, they, 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 they weren't really iterating intellectually towards a conclusion at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like eventually we got the flow going. Like I remember you, you kind of like go, what, I guess, what, like basically aggressive or friendly, right? Kind yeah. Of, or neutral, I guess, basically. Like you had kind of three pass out of each of them and it would feed into the next one and it made a difference. But kind of at the end of the day, it was kind of like, well, but so what? Right? It's like, yeah. Like, it was too much of a game, too much of a game without enough purpose. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, too much of a game to be a toy. You know, right. it is a toy still. And that's its win state, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing game for like an eleven-year-old. Yeah, it, it, right. and I and I, we've hit like, the age now. One of the best games ever made for like that age. Right? And I have people now on my team that I've hired recently. Like, mm. oh, that's one of my favorite games of all time. And yeah. you realize that crazy disconnect because they were eleven or twelve when it came out. Yeah. Now they're like you know twenty something, which is a bit disturbing. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, it really nailed that audience. Um, and we should have been able to free it up for that. Yeah, you know, and just be more of that, and instead of being so constrained to trying to make a game. Yeah. What was what was hard is that was one of the one of the one of the few projects where I actually felt like, you know, I was trying to make the game better, but I think probably my presence was making the game worse. Yeah. Because, you know, I was just gonna push it towards a gameplay direction and it was never gonna get there. I right? think it was I, never gonna become a tight game. Right? Well, I think the bigger problem, it wasn't even the game non-game divide for me that was the biggest problem that yeah. we had. In retrospect, the biggest problem that we had was the direct control in like strategy divide. You know, like sometimes yes. you're essentially inhabiting a creature early on and then you become you know, it becomes a strategy game. Yeah. If the, if it had just been a strategy game, I remember all the way like, through a year before we shipped, I think at some point you and I like spitballed the idea of like we just gotta fully commit to you always have an avatar. And even in the like the civ level, like the your the creatures fight each other, but you're going around as like the super the super unit and you're like kind of winning the battle. It would have been it would have been weirdly it's actually Dota. A, a mo- yeah. yeah, it's a MOBA. I'm just realizing <laughs> as I'm saying it, like we basically like invented invented Dota. I mean Dota already existed at that point. We just didn't, yeah, know we just didn't play it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, well that's what's weird. I never actually put put two and two together. But I think the better version was the exact inverse of that, which is that 
you never have direct control. And so you just have this ever widening Petri dish mm. that starts as a tiny literal Petri dish and ends as the, the, the universe and you're dropping things into it and those things are playing their own, you know, sure thing. toy box game, yeah. right? And that's the version that... Uh, that's what most right. of those early prototypes were about. Yeah. Like there was a ton of these and I did I didn't necessarily know what to do with them. I just saw there was this this folder full of these things you'd open up and you see a little bunch of dots moving around. Well there were solutions in search of a problem, right? Because right. they were they were prototypes, but they weren't a prototype to try and solve something or to achieve something. They were just like, isn't it neat? Yeah. And so that for me is not a it's a thing, you know, but it's not a prototype, right? It wasn't like, oh hey, how can we try except for again the editors which had gone through many iterations and they had a goal which was to put together seamlessly easily you know and they had iterated towards towards something that ended up being I, I still think they're the best you know character creators you know in the in the in the game space sure yeah and also the other big win for Spore I don't think it's enough credit is it's the only game where you actually engage with user created content everybody does all the time you know what I mean which is another magic trick right that you're always encountering other people's creations or sending your creations out into the into the into the world so it's like two of the best things ever and then the game just sort of like not coming together on the side yeah I mean I think that was the thing that sold me on joining the sport team is because I was really I was really into pushing modding for Civ 3 and Civ 4 but like I was always aware that you know and this is obviously way before like the Steam Workshop days yeah. right like this was like 90% of the uh, the audience had no idea these things existed yeah Right, we could do all this effort, but like, except for like a very small group of users, like it was just totally well, the, the user created content. It's a it's a it's a staple statistic as far as I'm aware. It's six percent. So six mm. percent of players, you know, make and share levels for a little big planet. Six percent did it for Tony Hawk. Six mm. percent, you know, like across all the games that I could ever, you know, like get in a bar and ask a developer, it was around six percent. You know, so that's clearly like a you know a chunk of your audience, but it's not a it's not as meaningful as the amount that play the game. Right. Yeah. But then that led to kind of this other weird problem of like, okay, but we had 100% of the people making the content, which meant that the quality was not necessarily like yeah, that's it. super. Um, but then the, the other way of it is like, well, if we can like basically, if we didn't encourage people to make units, so like only like the passionate ones did, then is the correct version of game, the game just kind of like a museum, you know, basically? like. Yep. You know, like you're playing basically No Man's Sky and like the the planets are all just full of, of, you know, stuff that that 6% has created, you know, like. You know, I think there's something magical in that it's, 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 you're forced to do it. But we had lots of decisions like that where it was so clearly cool to make it 100%, Mm -hmm. but the consequences were so heavy that we gave ourselves very little room on the gameplay side, you know? But at the time when the editors are magical and the sharing is magical, and you're still not sure, even if you, you started, you know, uh, uh, negatively impacting those, if you could make the game good, yeah. it still seems like the right decision to like go, go, you know, hard with the bits that were working and, and, and do your best with the bits that remain. Yeah. Um, so you, if I remember right, you basically were like in charge of like the creature level, right? Uh, in the in the end, yeah, it was all kinds of bits and pieces. It just kept growing. Uh-huh. I was a creature, and then I was, you know, I was you know, I was helping out on 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 and tribe, mm-hmm. and then I was helping out a bit with cell, and then before you came in, helping out a bit with you know, so like it was it was <laughs> it was all over the map. All right, sure. And I don't think anyone remembers, but we had one engineer basically per. Per level, per level, yeah, or thereabouts. Two or three, if you were super lucky, but they were double. They were du- doing double duty. That team was very small. Yeah. The we had Will and Alex were for the civ level. Yep, um, and then I wrote some code too. And there was Casey, Lauren, and Tom pretty... for for creature. Yeah, um, Jeff on cell. Mm-hmm. 
Um, actually, and that creature team ended up eating tribe, I think. So I think we had that as well. We had both those three on both of those. It seems like the tribe team continually kind of got pulled pulled away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that was like the level that was the hardest to kind of get consistency yep. on. Um, yeah, the cell level I thought always worked pretty good. That yeah, was, Jeff did a great job. Yeah, yep. that was the one thing that was like basically working. Like when I came on, I was like, you know, I was super excited to download the game when I first yeah. signed on, and I was like, oh wow, this level is really neat, and I was yeah. really excited about transitioning right to the creature level, and then I was like, wow, what's yeah. what's going on here? Well, and that's it. Then you have to inherit the you have to inherit the the you know what came out of the cell stage as well, you yeah. know. And well, the, the hard part is that the cell stage actually delivered on what you hoped the editors would do, right? Like mm. wherever you put the thing. The swiggly thing or the thing that eats or whatever, like it actually made a physical difference. Right. But then, right. then you had that when the, the big argument was, and that's, that's again, like uh, the, that was one half of the argument. The other argument was, though, but if we do that, then there's a right answer. And yep. that's why the cell creatures are not creatively very interesting. So, yes, it was a better game, yep. but it was a worse editor. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, Which again goes back to like, was, was I even appropriate for the team? Right. right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. And then but that, that whole team was, was, you know, had schisms all over the place on those, on those features. Yeah. Um, yeah, did they try with the creature at some point to have it more like whatever you do actually really matters? Yeah, but then you have an animation system that makes it work no matter what you do, you see? Okay. So if you have like leg length, it's supposed to figure out how to walk. Yeah, it figures yeah. out how to walk. So, you know, it does it no matter what. So it doesn't matter where you put the leg. Yeah. It doesn't matter how many legs you have. You know, it didn't, it did in the end, you know, affect statistically what was happening. But in terms of like the, the tactile function of it, no. And it was, yeah. it was, that was kind of indirect, you know. Uh, competition with the with how the how the animation system worked and you know and and then people's desire to be able to make any creature that they wanted yeah and eventually you just stuck parts on that had different pluses and minuses that's great right. and we let you be creative about where you put it and you could so you didn't it you could make a creature look any way you wanted and still play the game yeah but in a sense even then then it, that didn't go far enough right because if you wanted a good creature you still needed to put. 12 gigas on it or whatever yeah but like, you could because you had control of scale and position as well there was a million ways to hide it okay. and like embed things but you know which is it's a bit hacking the system but yeah yeah you did need to get a more complex creature to move out of this out of the creature stage which again sort of fits with what had to happen anyway you know what i mean like we needed a more complex looking you know animating creature to go into tribe yeah you so, needed arms, otherwise you couldn't use the tools that were part of the features of Tribe. Yeah. So what do you think you would have like if you could do it again? What, mm. How would you think you would make the creature stage? I wouldn't be. I wouldn't have direct control of the creatures at all. Right. Okay. Right. That's so I would. I, and I wouldn't even incel. Yeah, I wouldn't even incel. I would be dropping food like I was into a fish tank in the cell stage. I mean, then you could have a lot of variety, and you're not wedded to any one of them doing well or poorly. Exactly. In fact, it's interesting when one of them does really yeah, well. Yeah, and you get back to like emergent stories as well. You know, yeah. you get back to the stuff that Maxis was always terrific at, which is like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? You know what I mean? And then you can try to poke at it, but you don't directly go in and just steer them away. You have to kind of trick them into into doing what you want. Right. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, really, I never really thought about that option so much. I was usually thinking of the other way, like, yeah, you know, like just making sure you always have a character. And, yeah. Um, because it was such a, it was such a jump when you went to the Civ level. Like, for a lot of people, it just seemed very... But I think that's the order. I think if the first two had been indirect control followed by direct oh, yeah, control, then yeah. you would have had, you know, you would have had the same, the same problem in reverse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's fine that it worked like that. It just, uh, it just was... And like many things in that game, it was it will could explain it intellectually. Yes, you know, like you're pulling back both in control and camera. You know, like you're stepping away from this. So you, it was very tricky because you'd sort of in the moment of talking about it, sort of emotionally agree, right. but you'd be aware that 
functionally this still didn't solve your problem and you had to go back and argue with three engineers who were in tears yeah yeah I think in the hardware they have a lot of gameplay and there was some of this in Creature but it was definitely in Civ was you know there was kind of the sense of like oh there's different ways to play the game right yeah. and you can go and attack someone's city mm. or you can go bring in and do a culture attack but like yeah. The end of the day, it was pretty much like you got a blue gun and you got a green. Gun. Yeah, they're, they're all just weapons. <laughs> yeah, know, no, like, exactly. And so again, it was the illusion of choice, and that's why that's why I don't think it was very satisfying. Yeah. Um, in creature, you either attacked or you danced. Yeah, right. Which was an attack. Yeah, <laughs> it was a rhythmic attack, yeah. basically, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, really, the I joy mean, of it, and that's why it should be that the joy of it was just seeing the thing you'd made come to life yeah so putting in that game the game the more game we put in the more we were in trouble but at the same time it had to be a game because it had to have a, a tipping point to go into the next phase <laughs> right right there's your reason yeah to go like, for it. so like you play for two hours now you can progress <laughs> yeah whereas if you just if you just if it had been like you know keep enough of them alive to breed up to a population number and the camera kept pulling back mm-hmm. then we would have sold out controls problem you know it would have it would have felt more natural I think in the end and maybe then the only one you could have had direct controls is say the space like then maybe the, the gift at the end of the game is direct control of your spaceship to go find another place to drop a seed yeah 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 and the space level was so massive yeah that was a huge part of the game yep yeah. um and you know I mean, yeah, that's the other option, I think, was just to make Spore just the, the space game. Yeah, but the magic, I think, you know, to the, that, the magic of that pulling all the way back out of your planet was, like, was always great. Like, even, you know, in all versions of it, that one, so we would have lost that somehow, so. Yeah. It's hard to say. Ah, oh, Spore. <laughs> but I still, I mean, I mean, that, it is, it is uh, a, a, a fascinating game, and... You know, I've tried to structure my career a little bit to be, you know, one or two down the middle, you know, and then like, let's go do this crazy, you know, batshit insane game and see where it goes. Because otherwise, you know, I think lots of people learn from that and lots of people had ideas about that. And the fact that we're still talking about it for me means our time and all those, all my lost hair isn't wasted. I, I learned a lot about myself. Yep. During Spore. Like it definitely taught me like, okay, this is what I am and this is what I am not. Yep. You know, and, uh. Yeah, I mean, and the people I met on that team are amazing. Yeah, that's it. And I mean, that's that's real. I always say, you know, one of my generic speeches to the teams is always, you you know, you work on a game for years, years of your life. You spend with these people talking about everything, you know, from the game to your real lives to, you know, what's going on and, and, and busting your ass in service of a vision. And then you release it for two days. You know what I mean? And the internet either hugs you or yells at you for two days. But your real life is the development process, you know. And that development, I'm the same. I'm, you know, I, I've spent the last two days here at GDC catching up with people like yourself and people from that team who who I love dearly. So it was it was it was definitely worth worth it on a personal level, despite the fact that I don't think we achieved the, you know, quite the goals that we that we had when we started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. We we you know we uh, we tried we tried we got the we tried really hard that's what's upsetting like really hard yeah. it was like <laughs> I mean I'll say this like you know oftentimes I, one thing I will definitely tell people when they talk to me about Spore I was like I was like Electronic Arts supported that game yep I mean like they did what they could yep to like let us make an amazing game yep. it exactly was just like such a such a tricky problem to like get the team on the same page about this game which you know no one was quite sure exactly what it what it was but yep. like what a what an amazing you know, commitment that the company made to making this type of oh, for sure. And everyone forgets my favorite story about EA that everyone 
doesn't believe because it doesn't fit the narrative is that, you know, uh, that Maxis internally tried to cancel The Sims over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it was EA that stopped really? Maxis canceling The Sims. Yes. So, yeah. and Will will tell you, I've he said it. various was a, versions of the story, and yeah, yeah. usually it's not that EA saved it. EA saved it. I can get, I, I tell you, hand on my heart, Bing Gordon and EA were the believers in The Sims, and no one at Maxis would work on it. Yeah. We will had to get a like a like a side team of you know stoners and work late into the night and 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 make, and make that game. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Huh. All right. Well. Um, so Spore finished. Mm. I'm trying to remember what you did right after Assassin's Creed Three. Oh no! Wait, I'm skipping a whole game. I don't think you it's a lie. Me. No, I went to I went to uh, uh, EA oh, yeah, Montreal. Army of Two. Yeah, that's right. I was like, I don't think you left EA immediately. No, I went uh, straight. I had a, a burning desire to get back into core games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone had various reactions to immediately reactions after after uh, Spore shift. Yeah, so, and they were and they were kind enough like, to yeah. To, I need to go back to really sort of like. Yeah, core console game, game. You know, not trying to make a. a well, a, funny when you say go back to. Really, it's the first. Time yeah, I know. I, 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 I get you like, right. Yeah, not even go back. Like, but in, uh, go back to thinking and obsessing about. Right. I guess you know. Uh, but yeah, the first time I got to make a, a, a you know, a, a really sort of core yeah, game on console. It's time to make the game. I probably should have always been making. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, all right, cool. So that um, were they working on that already? Or did yeah, they chipped the first one. Oh, and right, you worked on the sequel. The sequel, yeah, and they, yeah. they, they and it had been a big hit to be honest, and yeah. um, you know, it wasn't. Yeah, I remember you told me. I was like, wow. I really sold that many copies. Yeah, it's, it's still to this day the most successful new IP uh, EA ever launched. Really? Yeah. Well, that deserves to be a trivia question. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> they don't like the answer, but like, unfortunately, uh, like the reality is is just a thing. Um, well, maybe not anymore. Trump is teaching us that maybe not. Um, and uh, you know, I again, it was a core game. It was an opportunity to t- to move up to creative director. Uh, and uh, I really liked the people that were on it. Okay, but you, um, you joined when the sequel was starting? They were just starting the sequel, yep, and everyone was burned. It was one of those new, you know, everyone was so yeah, tired, yeah. and they just come off that, and so it was like, all right, we need to do another one, um, and I thought it was Had right. Did you like the original game? I liked the mechanics, and I didn't like the tone. Oh, yeah, it had a weird tone. Yeah, well, it was, it was, sort, of fra- <laughs> it was sort of fratty, right? But the ir- irony being that that's why people loved it, right? Yeah, like, you sure. know, it was, again, like you said, it was for, it, if you didn't like it, the game was not for you. Yeah, yeah. You know? But it turns out there were millions of people that game was, was for, and we yeah, used to do. Yeah, I remember us having that discussion, and, and, you know, we were joking, like, like, do you fix the tone, or do you need, like, you need to, like, really lean into it, you know? Like, yeah, and I think we, pro- I, what we did, and it, it was a, another successful game, it was a profitable game, and, you know, sold millions of copies and all that sort of stuff. But I tried to go from fratty humor to sort of dry humor so mm. it was still it was still jokes mm. uh but to move away from the, the 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 sort of yeah the fratty nature of uh, it fist bump killer yeah well just go to go to a buddy cop movie yeah. away from you know like a fraternity you know movie um and yeah that was and i had a lot of fun on that game and uh 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 learned a lot about co-op you know games and you know and the joys of sort of colliding systems when you allow people like identical tool sets that cross over in different ways mm-hmm. um and yeah no i still think to this day i think it's a it's a it's i'm, I'm really proud of that game all right how did you like being a creative director i mean like what was your job actually like now well i took i took it was i'm probably a better creative director i think than i am a game designer so okay. it was kind of you know like because it, it, it expanded a little bit to like my old to writing and to uh to to you know more um interpersonal stuff as well which is which is my comfort zone so I, I that I found that part easier but I also deliberately took that project too because it wasn't you know I had a few other opportunities for bigger profile 
gigs as a creative director at that time and I just didn't feel ready mm. you know and I like the idea of having a little bit of a smaller scale project to like learn from you know like I had to go talk to the audio director and you know that's my by far my weakest area uh-huh. so I wanted to learn in a you know in a safe space so to speak mm-hmm. um, so that was a big a big gift of that and it was pretty quick you know what I mean it wasn't going to be like this seven year project and it was like going to be a you know an 80 month project so it was it was a, it was a good fit yeah that's cool what did you what sort of did you make some big changes to it like uh we made it and this is a really interesting one we made it super systemic which mm-hmm. i think intellectually and even in that game is the right decision but in that field it was probably an expense we didn't need to eat and we were a small team again it was like 80 people you know it was a very it was a relatively small team for for that scale of game that's competing essentially with Call of Duty and, you know, yeah. and, and Battlefield and all these sorts of things. But uh, for example, we made, you know, like it's co-op. If you both go up, you can you can press your shoulder into a door frame, right? Any door frame, all door frames work. Mm-hmm. If your partner presses into the other door frame and you both then kick the door at the same time, we switch to like a co-op snipe mode where you both go in together. It's like mm-hmm. a like a like a clear mode, like a breaching clear mode. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's systemic. It's triggered anywhere by the player at any time if they both do it. Um, at the same time, in you know, in, in Call of Duty, they had a mode where specific doors would just have a prompt that said, you know, like clear, and then it would go to this awesome, perfectly realized version. And I and and theirs was the right answer. I think perversely for for shipping the game, it was better, but intellectually worse. You know. Sure. So our, the thing that I really liked is we really made it was really systemic and it was really seamless. Like you know, there was no cuts in the game. The camera would fly through and move through. It was like this organic, seamless experience that that allowed you. Gave you systems and then didn't break the rules of those systems, so allowed you to play the way you wanted to play with your friend, right. um, which I'm, which I, which, which I'm super proud of. Um, and we tried to put, you know, more choice into, 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 you know, as many of the sort of corners yeah. of the game as we could. I mean, is that fundamentally what made the first one sell so well? Was just people wanted a game that they could that was like built to play with one other person yep I'm pretty sure it's just a it's just a, a core need like you and your best friend versus the world which is how I always describe the sequel yeah. um, is, a, is a really powerful message like everyone I don't have 20 other friends to get together a clan yeah. to play WoW or like you know big battlefield group and um, we found that the bigger co-op groups you know people talk a lot less uh, so, so you know, small groups. So, you and your buddy, you will talk the whole time, you right. know, and you will cooperate the whole time. You will stick together the whole time. Saw the same thing on Far Cry Four yeah. years later, um, and it's really powerful and really personal. Um, and yeah, I love it. You know, that for me is you know is something. You know, if we get to the future stuff that, that I'm definitely pursuing, you know, moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I always thought that that was definitely a strength of the game, which is this very clear message of like, play this game with your buddy. Yep. Period. Right? Yeah, and the like, world is against you. Everything in the world is against you except your buddy. Yeah. You know, so so it's it's kind of emo. You know, it's it's um that's why those buddy cop movies work. You know what I mean? Like you've only got one person to lean on, and you have to get through this. You know, ex- you know, extreme circumstance. And so the same thing translates really cleanly to it to a game. Yeah. Well, I wonder why that didn't like. How come they couldn't were able to just keep extending that? Because it seems like there's like a specific. Like oh, they could have. Need for oh, they could have. Like it was that. like it was. It's huge politics at the time, and EA is very different now, which is great. But they really did not want that studio to succeed. Oh, wow. And we were having. We had <laughs> half. We had half the resources of say Dead Space, half the resources of everything else, and they were just continually cutting us off at the knees. Yeah. Um. And 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 didn't like it whenever it succeeded. Hmm. Like would act actively look uncomfortable whenever we would just say, well, you know, we like tripled your money, you know, <laughs> like, it's, like it did really, really well. Um, can we get some advertising or some marketing? And they would be no. Huh. Yeah. Because it's interesting because I think of like kind of like the not top tier shooters that yep. a lot of publishers, you know, put out, you know, like I, I hate to name names, but you know, stuff like I don't know, like Homefront or yep. something, right? Like yep. where it seems like if you know you're not going to be 
the top one. If you're not yep. gonna be Call of Duty or whatever, like you should grab on to like one of these concepts of yep. like where this is the game to play with your buddy. Yep. Right? Like Call of Call of Duty is not optimized for that. This is a game where that's all we care about, right? Yeah. Like, and the first like two and great, the first two were really successful. The third one, which the third one was not um, and I think that sort of killed it. I didn't know there was. There was a third one where they overspend and a whole bunch of people came in and sort of said they knew better than everybody and mm-hmm. they were going to put on Frostbite and just fix all the problems. And right. it turns out that they just spent a lot more money and didn't. All right. um, so and that was a bit of a, a pretty terrible game, the third one. But uh, yeah. Huh. All right. Well, I think I think there's still opportunity for a game like that. I hope so. I'll yeah. tell, I'll tell we'll you in a year. We'll, yeah, exactly. we'll, we'll get to that part without later. The, without the frat jokes. But yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. you and your buddy versus the world is definitely something that I love. All right. Well, I'm setting you up then. There you, there you go. <laughs> okay, so uh, 40th day. That was what it was called, right? Yep. Uh, that shipped. Mm-hmm. Um, and then did you? What I mean? How come you left at that point? Uh, I felt like you know. I think you joined companies, and I joined as a designer. Um, and, and been supported and it had been great fun and you know a lot of great producers had mentored me and I'd moved up but in their brains I was always going to be a designer you sure. know uh, and I was getting you know a lot of interest from you know Ubisoft Montreal at the time and they were just making better games at that time of the year they were making better games and they were really exciting to me and yeah. Assassin's Creed had just launched and you know they, they had a lot of things uh, happening there and they're the big dogs in Montreal obviously um, so it was just a really exciting moment to transition and they were foolish enough to ask me to come on at the time as game director on Assassin's Creed um, when there was just one team moving forward and again just like I had with with one of the attractions for you know Spore was to work with Will you know that that time Patrice Desley was you know was still heading up the Assassin's Creed franchise and he just seemed like someone to me that I could learn from um, who had a different skill set and a different approach sure Um, and then just like with Will you you get there and the the situation changes almost immediately so basically I'd been there a couple of months and he resigned and uh, uh and then you know, in I guess a fortuitous circumstance, I, then they promoted me to, to creative director of the of, of Assassin's Creed, um, and uh, yeah, and it was a lot of fun. That was you know Ubisoft. I think Nintendo and Ubisoft are the only companies of any size that I'm aware of that have a very concrete belief and structure for how a game should be made and what's important in a game, what's good in a game that they police. Okay. You know they, they have, have a, the process. They have a process, and a, and a, and a, and a, in, in, in the Ubisoft model is based loosely on the on the Nintendo version. Uh, you know of like you know introduce introduce challenge, scale challenge, test challenge, okay. change right. challenge. You know like all this sort of process, and it was brilliant. I mean, like this is what I'd wanted when I joined Taurus in yeah. you know two thousand and two or one or whenever it was. Um, was like, oh, that's how you make a game. Yeah. You know, and just like just like learning to draw or learning to paint or to play a musical instrument, once you can do it, then you can say, I don't need this bit. I think you could just, you know, do it in a completely different way. Right. But at least you have a basis in a craft, you right. know, of like how to execute this thing. And admittedly, there's only certain types of games, but they have a very structured way. And so I found that hugely uh, right, so rewarding. That leads me to two questions. Um, so you joined Ubisoft, and within two months, you were the creative director of Assassin's Creed 3. Yeah. That seems kind of remarkable. Yeah. <laughs> like, how come they didn't... Weren't there be people lined up inside Ubisoft for that position? Yeah, I don't... I, honestly, that would be a question to ask them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like to think I'm good at my job. Sure. And, uh, you know, and, I, and in the end, I mean, that is still the highest-selling Assassin's Creed game 
ever released. Really? All right. Yep. So you're, we full, you're full of uh, uh, great uh, video games. Yeah. Video games more than any industry I've ever... Maybe I'm just because I'm here too often is there's what people want to believe to be true and, the actual, <laughs> and there's what's actually true. Man, I wish... I mean, I love the Steam Spies finally yep. out there. Like, yep. So at least there's one part of the video games industry. It's just facts. Just like, yeah, yep. just no facts. alternative facts in this <laughs> in this particular corner. But like, yeah, we did 18 million copies of that game thereabouts. You which did is what? About 18 million copies. Oh, okay. Wow. Which First is, I heard 80. 80 but, would be impressive. But 18 million is also yeah, amazing. I, yeah. That it, yes. So we did we did super well, but uh, it was um, so it was a success. But yeah, and they were super generous again. You know, you come in and it's it's what's allowed me to survive and and do well in the video game industry is that overall people are really open. You know what I mean? And they mm-hmm. just want they just want everyone to be moving towards you know a quality game. And so I walked in and I think they they were super generous and just let me. They said, all right, well, what would you do? Yeah. You know, and so I made a lot of pitches and I and I worked really really hard and you know and I was always there and I was I'm trying super hard to listen and not be that obnoxious. This guy that comes in and tells okay, you so how that, to do it better. That leads me to the, the other question I wanted to ask, which is: so you say they had a process, they had a way of doing things. Yeah. You were coming out, out as an ex- uh, you were coming in as an outsider. So how was that? taught to you like how did you how did you find that yeah ironically afterward like it was really strange but like I only got into the sort of more you know UB theory side which which came out of France out of out of Montreuil and uh, uh, later and then I was like oh that's why they do this you know what I mean so it was so ingrained in their production that like well, you didn't, I, we weren't conscious of it no and it was the first time along with Army then then Assassins and Far Cry where we were in we were deep in my comfort zone of like you know, the, the way you are with strategy games where okay. you're like I I get this and if you drop another name of a game in this I'm like yep I understand exactly what that is and how they how how it, how it fits into the whole so uh, I think my instincts were really aligned with how the game worked mm-hmm. um so yeah i just didn't i it just it was just right you know things felt right, right. <laughs> like well we should do this and go this direction and everyone was like that sounds right and i was like it feels right to me and then, <laughs> right so so we did it um which after years of you know either being in really untenable production environments where it didn't matter if you knew you couldn't or you know advice like spore where we just couldn't quite get to that shared vision of what was right you right. know um was a relief a tangible relief yeah. Um, and it allowed us to go super fast and to probably make too much game to be honest like our problem was that is we went too deep and made too much and if we had a few more months on that one the one thing I would love to do is go back and trim it really you know yeah I, we just needed an editing pass on it sure it was yeah. pretty much we got it done and we jammed it in it's, I mean it's by far the biggest Assassin's game it's like monstrously long yeah. and, see, uh, those games seem really big yeah and that one was <laughs> now one was like 40 hours in the main path you know what yeah. I mean it was like a JRPG length sort of game and we could have just cut 5 hours out of it yeah. and improved it a lot and got you through some of the content a lot but we'd put too much in and it didn't how much had you played the previous ones when you started well, I played them to death you okay. know like, so and I went back actually went back through and replayed end to end all of the previous I mean there weren't that many Remember when I joined AC2 had just shipped and uh, Brotherhood oh the new ones the, the other Assassin's Creed 2 were in development. yeah so I was following up Assassin's 2 yeah. and then in between they turned a DLC into Brotherhood right and then they then they put in another Brotherhood, game yeah. yeah like in between like while we were working oh, on... so that wasn't the original plan no because that was very confusing from the outside I was like you're yeah. like yeah I worked on Assassin's Creed 3 I mean don't you mean Assassin's Creed 5 yeah <laughs> well I mean, we could, we could... I mean I know they couldn't do that but I'm like why what kind of a numbering system well for a while we were, we were the numbering was connected to a new assassin so each time we had a number it was a new assassin and then so you know so brotherhood and revelations were continuations of Ezio's story so that's that was the internal logic of it but yes it always gets you know and then they jumped immediately to Assassin's Creed 4 right yes black flag Mm -hmm. and now they've finally given up on numbers right 
Uh, so it seems, yes. <laughs> you know, like it I'm, seems like the ultimate end of all these stories. Like eventually you have to... Uh, well, the beauty of Assassins is that each one's essentially a new idea. The reason I, I was like, oh my God, I want to do this was A, like I said, it was the, my type of game yeah. completely. B, it was a monstrously big budget. And I was like, oh, finally, I can, if we need to spend some money, we can spend some First time in my career at that point, we had a, a big budget. Um, and C, there's stealth new IPs. But all of the UB games our stealth new IPs in franchise form where you, you mean each of the iterations yeah like Far Cry Assassins because you can what, what did we change the lead character the setting yeah, the mechanics sure. the world <laughs> like you're just like wow I have a monster budget and, yeah. a, and a new IP with some I mean it needs game. to be open world it needs to be about climbing it needs to finish the myth you know the mythos of the, the world but that's almost that's nothing right <laughs> you know so the everything we put in naval battles and tree climbing and right. weather and you know and, the, and it was all set in the American Revolution which right. is you know a, a ridiculous time period to set you know anything but a strategy game in and uh, uh, you know so it was it was crazy putting animals and hunting yeah. you know we did we did all this sort of stuff that, that would I would never have been able to do in a new IP right. but we could if we just said that the lead character was an assassin right and like what does an assassin do he kills people which like well that's yeah. the core verb in you know in 75% of like console games yeah no that's true I mean it's a great framework to make games I mean yep we're going to make a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So when you... Let's talk about starting the project. So mm. you come in, came on board. Yeah. And was it, it was... There was not much work done at that point. Like, no, there was. It was me and five people sitting in a corner. Okay. Um, so we ended up with a monstrously large team. But the first year, I had like twelve. Was it people already and, supposed to be American Revolution? At that point? Uh, was the only uh, the only bit that Patrice sort of said is, I think America. I want to do something close to home. It said to me. So that was probably okay. the only decision that had been that had been made. Okay. And then I started saying, Well, if you're going to do that, let's be an outsider. So let's be let's be a Native American. You're neither a Brit, like neither neither a red coat, yeah. nor a nor a you know um, an American. Although they weren't Americans at the time, right? Uh, uh, so like these ideas started to sort of started to gather, uh-huh. but yeah, there was sort of nothing there. So it was great. It was great fun. Okay. Wow, that's yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, I mean, talk a little bit about what you wanted to do early on. Like, what was your your vision for the game? Yeah. So it was like it was it was again creating a game where. The, the 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 world was like a living breathing clockwork historical recreation like you know like a a ren fair you know <laughs> that 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 was filled with opportunity like for me it was like i really wanted a game where everywhere you know if you're going to climb up you can climb anything it's it's it, it it repeats that trick we did on say army of like systemic completeness uh-huh. um, and that anywhere you climb up onto you, you're surrounded by a sea of opportunity you know and at the same time I was like man we, I want to touch a whole bunch of things that, that you know that we haven't done before you know like a, a setting that's exciting because the game shouldn't be here you shouldn't do an action game in a world with muskets you know what I mean like this is like it, it, you know uh uh, you know that that period of time, and the, you know you meet Ben Franklin, and like all these sort of crazy little bits and pieces started to sort of snowball and mm. sort of come together. Yeah. Hmm. Um. Yeah, and then so you know you put down you put down the ideas of what you wanted to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um. What? Um. And how much time did you have to make the game? Uh, in the end, it was almost three years. It was like two years and 11 months. But realistically, and this is the thing that, that hurt the most, we probably had about a year. 
because because we've got the full suite of people that we needed to build it pretty much it was a big team but for the second year first thing was tiny it was just us you know doing the odd prototype and working on like our concept art and, and and making sure we had all the right ideas and that was a lot of fun because it was the first time i'd had essentially a legitimate pre-production like a long pre-production right. to like stew on some ideas the second year we were building core tech and working on it but it was all the third year that it was it, it, it sort of really came together yeah yeah i mean like how would you i mean how much could you take advantage of pre-production without having presumably much of a game to play? We could take advantage of everything but technical pre-production, which is again was a was a problem, mm-hmm. you know. So we could do. We were very clear on the story. We were very clear on art direction. We were very clear on key moments. Um, you know, we knew our feature set that we wanted, but we hadn't proven a lot of it. What was the riskiest stuff? Uh, tree navigation. Okay. It was a bit of a sport problem in the sense that, like, because a tree is an organic shape. Mm. So how do you navigate, like, in this beautiful, you know, way across organic shapes? So that was that was a huge headache. Um, and it was Did made... all the trees have to be like hand designed because no, we had like if you don't climb the trees, you kind of just like fudge it, right? So yeah, no, but they were no, they were all climbing the trees. So yeah, like that. I, I actually don't know the answer to that. I know we started out trying to use a, an internal tech that they used on Far Cry called Speed Tree. Right. Uh, which was like, you know, a way of like getting lots and lots of stuff. But I think in the end they, they pulled it out and like built, they had models that they were like, you know, sticking everywhere. And then they had some that were, they were hand placing and some that they could then adjust because in the end the tech could do anything, you know, like put your hand in any sort of spot. So it wasn't going to be fun unless the trees were all different. <laughs> Right, right. So yeah, Marco, uh, 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 you know, or Marco Olivier Boucher uh, would, you know, if he ever hears this, will will be shedding a single tear as I remember him <laughs> making like like hectares of the frontier, like filled with trees by hand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. Um, so when you guys when you guys got to, hmm, I guess I'm trying to. I mean, I'm just the games I work on get built so differently. Mm-hmm. But I'm always kind of curious, like how you even do this, right? Like. Because, you know, you make a game like Civ, you just like, okay, I'm going to make a grid. And then I'm yep. going to put a unit on the grid. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to move that unit. And that that moving a unit from tile to tile, you do it in the first month. Yep. And that code is basically the code Never changes. you yeah. ship with. <laughs> right? And, yep. like, you just kind of, like, bootstrap your way from there. Whereas, you know, you guys are sitting down and you're presumably you're writing out the whole story. Yep. Um you're writing out all the like systems, well, it's all the things like, that people can do. Yeah, all kind the of verbs, basically. Yeah, pretty much, right? So like you, 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 you know, the way I, you know, you first you sort of pick your, you pick your, you know, broad location and fantasy and and lead character, and then that boils down into like the cities that you're going to build, and then the cities are sort of autonomous. Like the whole team will go off and build those cities, you know, to to rules and try and make them as interesting as possible. But the the climbing isn't will work on anything, mm-hmm. um, and and you know the, the missions will be put into the cities. You know what I mean? So the cities, it's not that the cities are set decoration for the missions. The missions come in over the over the top uh, of the location themselves. So the cities are kind of like fire and forget once you decide. Right. And you might change some scale. You might have to move some things. Right. But you build the city, but then you're done with it. Correct. Then, then you figure out what to do. Yeah, and well, you pick your key locations based on the story, on your key story beats, and they have to go into those cities, and then then the missions come in as an as an overlay um, on top of that. But yeah, it is a big. Well, that suggests that. You design the missions fairly late, then. Yeah, the missions are by far well, you, because you need the mechanics as well, right? So the missions okay. are always the 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 hardest part because they come in last. Okay. You know. So you build like a tech demo for like how yeah how the mechanics actually work. Yeah, exactly. Like so, you you, you group the mechanics. So we'd have you know like what groups of stealth mechanics do we have? What sort of combat mechanics do we so have? For example, sort of, like. 
Like what are what oh, like, like you, you had to come up with for AC3? Well, so like we changed that we, we wanted to change the, the entire combat system to be more responsive, mm-hmm. to be more about counters. Uh, uh, so then we had a whole bunch of new weapons. Like we wanted him to use a like a tomahawk as his like yeah. core weapon, and then you know how all that went in. So so those sort of things. We wanted the the assassinations to be again systemic. So and it is. I don't know if anyone realized it's one of those weird things. But whatever you're holding, and you can pick up lots of different weapons, and they can be used to assassinate with unique execution moves from any point. Okay. You know, um, if you have two, you can do double assassination. So it's all again, it's 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 a complete system. You know what I mean? It's not just like a, a custom animation. But we added a, a lot of uh, a, a lot of stuff like that. We had to add ranged weapons for the first time in the history of the franchise because everyone had them, and if they had them systemically, you need to be able to pick them up. We right. didn't want to have a game where you just you know couldn't use the gun. Yeah, couldn't use the gun, even though most people most people didn't. Um, we had the start of vehicles for the first time because we had horse-drawn carriages going up and down yeah. the streets, which was just realistic and like you can't have. Boston in that period without it in it so can you we didn't let you drive them but we you know went through now it seems like you could have not done boats yes entirely <laughs> yes which is not a small thing right? no like, no that's enormous I mean I know it kind of worked out very well and it, yep. it then extended into AC4 it's yep. like a really huge thing yeah the right? core of the so, game yeah exactly um like, were there people who were like, maybe we should not do both? Well, it was really interesting in that Seb Powell, the executive producer at the time, came out to me and he's like, you know, you know, boats. And I was like, well, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's believable. I mean, like, it was, it was a naval blockade that ended the, you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. it's in the history. So I'm like, yeah, it would be great. And so we just thought, oh, we'll try it. And we had guys like the, the lead writer, Corey May, who's great, um, behind me for the whole time saying, Assassins don't go on boats. That's a pirate. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, prescient. You're no longer officially an assassin. Right. And you just seem cool. And so what we did was we did a pilot team. We flew two guys out from Singapore. um, And they sat there and we worked on these little prototype boats to see if it would be interesting. Wait, what are guys coming from Singapore? We have a UB Singapore down there. And so they were just, we had bandwidth. You know what I mean? So like, we're like, come down. We need some people. Because we wanted to give them a new thing. They'd done previously like uh, what we call linear sequences for previous assassins. Okay. And we were like, I'd rather do something new. Like, you know, again, we're trying to do as much big, you know, we wanted a big new talking So you found a separate team to start working on it. Because so basically, like if this doesn't work out, we can cut it. It's just a separate exactly. thing. That's yeah, right. exactly. And that was the beauty of the big budget stuff, you know. Yeah. So they came down. How many studios did you work with? I think it was about five. You know, it's it's nuts. And like people where, think... Where were they? Uh, Singapore, ANSI in France, uh, Quebec City, mm-hmm. uh, and Montreal were the, key, were the key studios. Okay. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, did you visit all of those places? Yeah, I did laps of the globe. Really? Yeah, working with that. So it was... It's pretty intense. That sounds seriously intense. Like, oh, I, I, was, don't, I can't conceive of that. By the end of it, I was... It was the only time I nearly had a breakdown by the end of AC3 where I was like losing my mind, you know. Um... Couldn't think about anything else, but at the same time, really needed to stop thinking about it. You know what right. I mean? And it was just too much and doing 80-hour weeks. And then so many press engagements and so many um, sort of I mean, when you're traveling talks, like that, it was crazy. there's not even like an option to take time off, right? No, like, you can't. It's you just not... can't. No. <laughs> it was like, you know, yeah. It was, it, was, it was kind of horrendous. It was amazing and awful. Like at the same time, you know what I mean? Like, you know, that, that weird combination. Yeah. But um, no, and so, you know, but you're able to do it. And we can keep cohesion. Everyone always thinks it means like this purely distributed model but it's not because the core of the game the cities the the mechanics the core is all made in Montreal yeah. and then we would put like the homestead was made in Quebec City you know the naval stuff was made in, in um, Singapore so everyone has their own like sub ownable chunk yep. that, you know so it does it does work and it does it keep it you know, maintains personality and cohesion yeah. but it's 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 a headache yeah no I mean it sounds logical for something that's somewhat insane yep. so 
Um, it's as uninsane as an insane thing could be. <laughs> could be, yeah. Um, wow. All right. And uh, so um, we were talking about boats. Um, so it, it started to work out, and like at some point, you just were like, "Well, well, they, like, yeah, it worked." And then you know, like it was like happen. we wanted these linear gameplay sequences to, be, to become something new and to be something special, and it just started to look great. And uh, uh, there was a guy called George Torres who'd actually worked on Full Circle, the the facial impact for Fight Night. Um, so he's the guy that did all the like the oh, yeah, blue, sure. you know, yeah, like yeah, what was up. And we were like, "Can you do water, George?" And he's like, "Sure, I'll come and do water." And like, how do you like Singapore? So he went down there and did amazing work on okay. on water simulation and all that sort of stuff, and it just started to look great. And so then, you know, you know, you can feel though that we were scared till late because it's there. There's one mission where we force you to do it and then it sort of unlocks. Yeah. And I wanted to treat it like an RPG and I still think it's the right decision. I love it that the idea that you then get this boat and then you can go to your boat and go off on these these missions. But we probably, if we'd known how good it would be, would have been more in the main line, which is what they did on 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 Black Flag. We just we just didn't have full confidence in it until It's an amazing until I, thing to put in a game is like this just sight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And, you know, and that game, that, and that was the challenge with AC3 is like, it's just so big and, you know, we had great articles in Kotaku where they were like, oh, it's pretty cool. I kind of like it. And then a year later, they'd say, I played all the other stuff. It's amazing. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like the homestead is this clockwork town. It's brilliant where everyone have life cycles and day nights. Yeah. yeah, let's talk about the homestead a little bit. How yeah. That, was that... Did you have that idea from the very beginning? Yeah, Homestead, well, Homestead was my my pet. Like you know what I mean? I love homes in games. You what know, like was the, your high level goal? Like, that that like, what what purpose did it serve? Well, that that, that you would you would essentially grow. A, you will grow the homestead and it would go through the sort of like settlement fantasy of the new world you know so that you would meet people who had problems and so it was a great reward for a mission and that person would join your homestead mm-hmm. and it would grow and whenever you went back home in the mis- in the game or you know you rebooted the game you would be there and it would be growing more and more so you would have this sort of you know you would go from you know the this sort of untamed wilderness to what you know America did which is like this this village you know uh, uh, you know the, the, so the, the nature would recede and, and, and you know and and and, and come culture would would come forward and that it would be this lovely little you know clockwork town in the same way you know like I told you before that I loved about the sims you know that it's a petri dish for humanity except right. this was like a colonial yeah I was, uh, uh, was going to ask like do you think you would have come up with this idea or like pursue this idea if you hadn't worked on the sims series probably not there was a game there was an old game uh, probably that, but anyways a Robin Hood game that mm-hmm. I used to be obsessed with and I can't even remember what console I think it was on the Amiga but uh, it was the first game where I'd seen it was like little pixel people and they were like fire tuck and you know and and, it, and and they had time and life cycle and they would go to bed and lock their door and you couldn't get in to see them or talk to them until the next day right. and that as a little kid blew my mind and so I think all those things together made, you know was, I, that was why I was excited to give it a shot right yeah hmm yeah, I mean, it seems like you're very proud of that. that yeah, I really yeah. like it. There's, there's some crazy animations. Like, they actually, like, if one guy, the butcher, will come if you watch, he brings out a pig, puts it on a table, cuts it, you know, cuts it into pieces, puts it into butter. Like, there's amazing depth of, like, you know, animation and simulation in that in that little piece. Um, and, yeah, and we, we had the budget to do it. So I was like, oh, foolishly, perhaps, like, let's, let's, <laughs> let's do it. Wow, it's like you 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 inherited this insane amount of money. Yeah, I know, and I just blew it. It's great. Yeah, it's like how do how do I? I got to make sure I spend it. Like you almost. It was Brewster's millions. Except yeah, exactly. With, yeah, like a, a more careful person might like accidentally not spend all the money. Well, what I learned from EA is they never you don't get it, you don't get to keep it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yep. So if it's on the table, spend it on your game. It's just you know, what disappear mean? into some other project. Yeah, and they won't say thanks. So <laughs> so spend all of the money all of the time. Yeah. Wow. So, what was it like dealing with, 
like Ubisoft corporate about this type of thing? Did they give you guys like they were amazingly hands off? They were like super. I'd heard rumors like legends of the interference of of editorial and Serge uh-huh. and those guys and Lionel were amazing. They were you know we went in. I pitched it super hard and I said why I thought it was cool and what we wanted to do and who the character was and the new features we were going to build and you know boats and tomahawks and trees and you know uh, uh, and they they sort of sat there and went sounds great. <laughs> Um, so no we didn't have any and I mean they have great oversight as well they would come to and say you know this isn't working or this is this isn't coming together but that project gained you know a huge amount of momentum and, and, and a huge amount of excitement um, so they were very very kind to us and very gentle yeah so when you got to the when you got to the actual development time which I guess you did in the last year mm-hmm. um, like uh, at, at that point how did you handle um how did you handle making sure your game was actually fun? Like, yeah. Like what, you know, we talked earlier about how like previously, like, you know, you kind of can make the games in a vacuum and you kind of hope for the best and you have some hunches, but you're not really sure if they're true. Yeah. Um, however, clearly, you know, Assassin's Creed, you know, AC3 was not like an early access game where you're, <laughs> you're no. opening up the floodgates. It's still to some extent built in a vacuum. Yeah. So what did you guys do to like re- oh, yeah. reduce, reduce your risk? Yeah. So you're, I mean, you, we were running play tests as soon as we could. We we're running play tests of okay. missions, individual missions in isolation, individual mechanics in isolation. So we're trying to get data and see trends. And, and how would that work? Did you have like a, we'd te- get people in. Group? Yeah. We have a testing group in, in house okay. and they had their own crew and their own way of doing it. Um, and they would pull people in and, and, and rigorously test it. Um, we test the fantasy and the ideas externally very early mm-hmm. to say, hey, would you be interested in a game like? And often these things you see, Ubi tests a lot of random stuff. And so it'll come out as a fact. And you're like, no, these are just, you know, questions people are asking. But so you get you get a lot of, you know, fantasy feedback early on about is it, you know, and sometimes you have to argue. Like sometimes they were saying like, oh, America, I don't care about the American Revolution. And you're like, no, I bet you, I think you will. So, you know, sometimes you have yeah, to sure. not just go with your gut. But um, we'd get mechanical feedback uh, all the way through. Um, Does anything stand out to you that like something you thought was going to work and didn't and didn't work, or something you saw that like you just didn't anticipate? Uh, yeah, it's again like I think the sadness is that the fact that you can do anything any you know all the time like you have much more freedom than than you think um, was less appreciated than I'd always hoped. That is always less appreciated. People a, a bespoke triggered event will get usually the same re- better reaction yeah. from people than the 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 one they could unless you get all the well, way you to. Have the, to teach them that the game it's the stuff right. is there right like i mean those games are so big yeah that i i mean i have you know better than i do obviously but like i imagine psychology is a lot of the players are just like this world seems overwhelming yes just tell me where to go no and that's what yeah. we i think that's the mistake we made it was a little too overwhelming it was a bit too slow uh and and yeah we didn't foreground like we we relied on the player discovering a lot of stuff which is my personal tastes you know what i mean that yeah. you will you will dig into it and then find it and have that joy of discovering yeah. that this works there's a thing that's popped in my head about i think when i talked to jamie chang about um don't starve yeah he talked about how um early on so that's a very systemic game obviously mm-hmm. right and um, it's all about player discovery and, you know, you should be, like, poking things and just yeah. mixing things together and seeing what happens. Like, that's the whole point of the game. Yeah. And early on, they had a tutorial where they're like, okay, do this. You know, get this th- this many pieces of grass and then build this and then put this. And, you know, yeah. it was a very standard quest thing or whatever. And what they found was is that the players who they wor- who put, they put through the tutorial like that, as soon as they came to the end of the tutorial, they just stopped playing. Oh really? Yeah, they just like they're well. 
you don't tell me what to do. Yeah, what now you know. what? Like, yeah. because they're like, this is this is apparently this is the world I'm in, right? And like, whereas the people who were just completely dropped into the game, yeah. with no help whatsoever, ended up playing the game longer and becoming more engaged. No, that makes sense to me. I think you get you you decide what kind of game it is, and I think that's that's true of both of those games, Army and Assassins, where because the expectation was that they weren't particularly systemic. Yeah. Um, people didn't look for it. Yeah. You know, and they therefore didn't find it as much. And the people that did stumble across it are you know are often like, wow, that was fantastic. Yeah. But yeah, maybe it needed. It just needed to be much less directed. Yeah, um, I mean, like systemic games and like Call of Duty games are like they're just fundamentally different creatures. Yeah, but to a lot of players, they look they look identical. Yeah. No, exactly. And they and I mean, you know, it's, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how to teach it. Um, I mean, some Well, games, I think you're right. I think you just like, you have to be like, you have to trust that they'll just find it. Yeah. But that is shrinking your audience, you know, a little bit, I think, in that, that core space. But then again, I guess Minecraft shows you the exact opposite, right? Yeah, I, it's, it's weird. I mean, I feel like this is the type of thing where testing done, testing could give you a different answer. Like, you could, I can imagine a lot of user mm -hmm. testing is like, they don't know what to do. We need to, we need to hit them over the head with the missions. Mm -hmm. Like, Maybe that's not bad advice. I don't know. But, you know, it's like a bigger leap to say, like, no, we have to have faith. And Well, I think also, it. like, franchises come with expectations, yeah. too. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I don't think we, even on Assassin, there's no way we could have said, like, do what you want. You know? It's like, it's a narrative, you know, heavy narrative, you know, uh, driven game. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how to, like, teach something. It's just hard because you're essentially, like, trying to, like, fit two games into one. Yeah. Right? And that's that's pretty hard. Yeah, that's difficult. Yeah, for sure. Oh. Um, all right, so I guess I guess we're getting to the release of the last AC3. So it came out, yep. and you were relieved, I see. Yes, <laughs> no, it went really, really well, but at the same time, I mean, the expectations had reached such a high point on that project that sure. it was like... Uh, it felt sometimes like a failure, even though it was, you know what I mean? Like a success, like, you know, you're doing huge yeah, numbers. I was, never, I was never sure how that game was received, because it clearly wasn't a failure. Yeah. It seems like it did pretty good, Yep. but it seems like... Like, people were expecting, like... Yeah, it was going to cure cancer. Yeah, basically, yeah. which is just completely... Yeah, and I think in retrospect now, I'm like, I was running into some of the editor from Wired UK, like, earlier in the in the week, and he was like, that's my favorite one, you know? Yeah. So I think, in the, you know, in retrospect, there's lots of people that love it. We also had 50% completely new AC players. So we did 80 million. So we got 9 million people who never bought an AC game to buy one for the sure. first time. And I think, therefore, your strike rate is challenging because there's a lot of, you know, like any franchise, it's it's a certain type of game. So you might have been expecting something else. Yeah. So I think there were, uh, you know, there were there were all kinds of uh, different reactions to it, you know? Like, I, they'd never played AC before and that was the first one they did. Or, you know, and guys like Tom Chick, of course, they loved it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, so yeah, it was like, sure. it was like... I mean, he found that stuff, right? Yeah. Like, that was what he connected Well, it's a kind of gamer that he is, I think. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So again, like, he was like, he went into these secondary things like this is fantastic you know and then yeah. and 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 other people who were just like trying to play wanted Ezio again and wanted like a, a faster story and you know that yeah. it wasn't for them yeah is there anything else you wish you'd done differently with it beyond like the you know people having a hard time finding the systemic stuff uh, I wish we'd shortened the start <laughs> like we wanted to have like a joke start where you play the character you've never even seen in the previews, right? A whole oh. other character, and it, just, it was just an hour too long. You know what I mean? Like, it, and you that want, was, you want to be a Kojima, huh? Like, yeah, <laughs> and it was super cool. And in the end, that character's been in three more AC games. Like, you know that that character, Connor's dad, who yeah. opens AC three, okay. became a really popular character. He's like, I think he's still, you know, he sells heaps of figures. You know what I mean? Like, he's a super oh. popular character, yeah. but it was just too long. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, well, it's hard to get. But the game with that one, you know, the idea was again because you don't usually care who you're assassinating, you meet them and then kill them. Yeah. So the idea was like, you play his dad, 
I know, I'm just this spoiler alert at this point, but whatever, it's all good. <laughs> you, you play his father, he's, who's recruiting all these people who you assume are the assassins, right? He's putting out his order. Then it's revealed that he's a Templar. And then you realize that all the people you recruited are the villains. Okay. So all the people you played with at the start are then the people that Connor systematically assassinates. Right. You know, so the idea is still needed. It just took a long time to, <laughs> to get through all that stuff. Man, well, the, the Assassin's Creed lore is... Arcane. Yeah, I mean, was it which was the one where you're actually playing a tester? I think that's the the, the present day stuff of Black Flag. Yeah, yeah. When I heard that, I just that was like, wow. mind explode. <laughs> this is, I, I, I have many things to say, but I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. So AC fin- AC yep. three finished up. Did mm-hmm. you go to the? Was it obvious at that point you'd work on a Far Cry game next, or like? No, I, I, at that point I pitched a new IP. Okay. Uh, and they were kind enough to like pick it up, and so we worked on that for a while. Um, it's still actually in development in one oh, really? form or another. Yeah, uh, that's the stuff Is I it... probably shouldn't talk about. Yeah, about right. It. You're right. Part because I'm out of it. Uh, uh, alone, then. No, but uh, um, uh, pizza of it were in Watch Dogs too. What's that? Parts a, of it were in. Yeah, Watch like a little. Oh, a little really? Yeah. Wow. That's a hint, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, so we did that for yeah, a while. Ubisoft, and then, to me, Ubisoft is just this magical, crazy place where, like, the fact that it's even possible, I mean... It makes no sense. It's a video, though, so it's not like actually the game is in it. Oh, anyway. okay, okay. okay. Um, but, uh, so, we, you know, I, we did that for, you know, several months, and then they said, look, you know, they need they need help, and, so, and that, you know, again, I was always a big Far Cry fan, so again, it was a comfortable fit, and I had a very clear idea in my head of what I would do if you ever were foolish enough to let me touch it. Okay. Um, and so went on there and worked with, you know, Dan Hay and, you know, and Pat Mette and all those guys on that, and... Okay. So they were a little into pre-production. Yeah, and uh, and they had some ideas, and we came in, and, and we were like, no, we need more, and we added all, you know, a whole bunch of. Was it Tibet, Central Asia? At that point? yeah, the setting was set, and then we were like, uh, and some of the characters were were you know were in concept phase. Um, then we went in and again just worked on mechanics and and how the co-op would integrate, and and you know how how the game would work and be structured, and what the missions and story and all that sort of stuff would be. Okay, what was what did you want to do with Far Cry? Like, what was your what were your high level goals? Um, it's it's going to be like beating a dead horse, uh, you know. Again, to like to, to broaden the systemic play space to make sure that it was the best possible toy box, you know, for making player stories we could possibly build, like in an action adventure, to make it like a. So let me just back up for a second because this is starting to be a theme. Here. Yeah. You know, you want you know you want these these broad games, but they're you know first person games, but they have lots you know systemic yep. depth. Mm-hmm. Typically, the people who are into this stuff yep. spend a lot of time going on and on about System Shock and Deus Ex. Yeah, and yeah, 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 the so usual. But you usual. haven't brought those up at all yet. So, is uh, that you or is there something else where this comes from? Uh, no, I, I mean, I think they're they're all great games. I think that you know, there's the, yeah, between like Clint and the the, the Looking Glass guys, yeah. um, they 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 have their favorites in that genre. But I think like the you know any sort of semi open shooter game is in that field you know what i mean like that's what they are they're deeply immersive that you know usually you have you know your 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 toolbox to play with and i think it's just the you know the 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 cliched list that people the people lop off i mean i was a huge fan of ultima underworld that was the one that you know okay. people we went deus ex um but uh yeah the all the far cry games are are deeply systemic you know toy boxes that's the that's the fun of them 
Okay. So there wasn't, you know, some touchstone game from, like, the 90s that you're kind of, like, trying to recreate spiritually. It was just... Uh, no, no, not in, not, not, in that, not in that particular genre. I love System Shock. I hate System Shock, too. I think System Shock is awful. Uh, really? I know, yeah, I know that's, like, so I, an athlete. Go ahead. Hot take. Let's, let's hear it. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just, like, just, it just felt like all the joy... Like, System Shock 1 is, like, there's, you know, all these weapons you're always finding in the world, and the, 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 it's, it's, it's chatting to you and pushing back on you, and the villain mm. is, like, you know, it, it was amazing that it's communicating to you in the same way that real people had started communicating that it's sending you emails and I just started getting real emails and it had this 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 emotion to it that I just thought System Shock 2 sort of became a bit more generic shooter mm. um, you know what I mean and I just didn't I just didn't didn't like it compared to 1 I was just such a big fan of 1 I think that I didn't that I didn't like 2 right. um, I thought Bioshock was a lot better than you know than, than System Shock 2 sure. in that field okay uh, did you just so did you play uh, like we talk about systemic, systemic, systemic games and Far Cry. Mm. So, what did you think of Far Cry Two? Um, I think two. I think I think they're all great. Actually, I think most of the Far Cry games, like one, two, three, and oh, hopefully, hopefully four people agree that um, are great systemic, you know, sandboxes. Mm-hmm. I think I think uh, some of the stuff in two is brilliant. Like the buddy system, I really loved the weapon breakage. I thought didn't get what it needed to get done through. Um, and there was sort of an annoyance at the respawning, you know, like towers and things like that. So I think intellectually it was rigorous, and I think not all of it came together in a way that worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a bit mean, you know. It's like a, it's like a, a mean, the game was mean. Yeah, it's like sort of mean to the player <laughs> uh, a little bit. Uh, and whereas we'd gone the other way and trying to be super generous to the player huh. um, right. and like be positive and and you know and more rewarding. All right, you felt like you wanted the player to. It's a it's a toy box. So I give them the toys. I see. Okay. You know what I mean? Like like having a toy box where you break their toys all the time okay. seemed to me to be a bit, bit mean spirited. So is that a good way to describe like like your high level goal for Far Cry Four? Like you wanted to create like an amazing toy box? Yeah. Well, I mean, it was like it was like you know again, and I I get you know like well, I think when you're in your your twenties and you're thinking of shooters, you're very earnest about them and like violence and it's important and yeah. it's you know that's sort of, and re, you know I get to a point where I, I I sort of become exhausted by the idea of linear narrative and the idea of making a linear narrative about anything where you just basically come in and murder everybody to save the world mm-hmm. um, had started to to not make sense to me and so that game on a narrative level is just a big joke of like whatever you say you're here for you're just here to shoot guns mm-hmm. you know what I mean I know that's why you bought it so and I know that so the, the character is you know he. You know, that's why at the start of the game, there's that joke where he comes in, he has his urn, you know, and I quite like the setup, which is that, you know, your mother's died and you find out she's from another country that you'd never heard of. Mm-hmm. You look it up and, you you know, her last wish is to be buried there. So you go there and it's a war zone and you're sort of like the lunatic person who gets involved in this in this conflict. But the idea that the player is there to bury the fictional mother is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's at the start of the game, the character, the villain, who hasn't done anything bad at this point, says to you, oh, wait, I've got to take this call. Wait in the room. You know, I don't know why you've come to this war zone, but I'll help you bury your mother and you can get out of here just right. wait here and the joke is of course it's a video game so everyone just leaves the room right. but if you stay there he comes back 10 minutes later and he says oh this is weird <laughs> and then you're still here you're still here he goes oh okay and he loads you into his helicopter he flies you to the end of the game flies and you, you bury the end of the game yeah and you bury your mother and, and he that's... says that's it thanks for coming and you ne- <laughs> so that the fact that you're a murderer is your business player like you walked out of the room you made the choice you made the choice to go out there to shoot some guns why because that's why you bought the game right. so for me it was just like that was that was sort of the, the jokey premise right that's funny I, I mean a number of games have made that point yeah. but some have done it a little heavy, heavy handed like yeah. you're basically making it a joke you're making like, a joke like it's okay we know you bought the game to shoot guns no like, I think that's the last thing he says in the fake ending he's like 
okay, so you bring your mom. And then it's like a pause, and then comes when he goes, let's go shoot some guns. <laughs> right? You know, like, now we got rid of that. Right, and it's like deadpan, you know, humor that, that makes me laugh anyway. And I think you could play it both ways. Age Magazine, I was super glad that they got it, you know what I mean? And they were like, oh, we get the joke, you know? Right. And like everyone else, if you want to go like super literal it's a literal story about an, a rebel group overthrowing the you know tyrannical leader and you can you can play in that way but really everyone's it's pretty dark comedy in my in my my book so that was my sort of goal and the other one was you know again to like integrate co-op into it and into the main game and and just get out of the player's way you know what i mean and saying like you are telling this story and you're doing it the way you want so you know you can land a helicopter have your buddy hang off the bottom and while well, you throw molotovs out the side and you can right. you know you can break systems by landing the helicopter on top of a carefully constructed climbing puzzle that some level designer slaved over but you were clever so you managed to do it dive out the window and, and complete it yourself yeah um and so just yeah try and be as and be joyous about systems as well like that's why it's so colorful as well to be this is this is amazing right you know what i mean it isn't real yeah well, i heard a lot of i heard a lot of crazy story and these people seem to get so excited about like all the crazy things that happen with animals in yeah that game, right yeah like so. the bear on fire sort of stuff and again it's just like they're just rules you know like you can fight animals animals can catch on fire the things that are on fire can put other things on fire um you know and so once once all that starts to roll together you get you get laugh out loud moments you know yeah. and yes they're all laugh out loud moments with things exploding and dying and the shooting of guns yeah, yeah. but it's not real you know and even in the in the world the sort of tone of the game is they're all speaking very earnestly about it but it's not it's not there it's not a serious game right in that sense it's a serious game in a mechanical sense but it's not a serious game in a narrative sense right hmm. all right so the way all this stuff fit together um you know with the animals and the vehicles and all the crazy stuff that can happen like uh, how did you guys talk about that from the very beginning. Well, it's been in there for a while. It sort of evolved, and I think, you know, in the success of Far Cry 3, they'd had, there was a very right. troubled development for a long time that then came together at the end and was a great success. Mm -hmm. um, and they'd sort of honed in on this this way of expressing it as an anecdote factory, that their job was to provide mm -hmm. the player with the tools okay. for generating anecdotes that they could, you know, that they could share, that would create water cooler moments in that in that world. How do you, so how do you do that as a designer? Like, how do you, uh, how do you create anecdotes? I think you can. I think it's it's verbs. You know, it's it's almost like sentences. You know what I mean? Like a borrower's writing technique. You know, you have verbs and objects and modifiers. You know what I mean? And you can put them in a big table and see how they would. You know how they would connect. Um, and then it's a bit. I think a bit more like I presume strategy games. You know, are are built where you can just start toying with it. You know what I mean? That's the bit that's alive, and that's the bit that's edited all the way to the end of, of development. Um, and trying to make sure that it's it's consistent and deep and you know and surprising, right? Hmm. All right. Did you have so? Did you have like much less of like kind of like these one-off things compared to like AC three? Like with oh yeah, Mark like AC we maybe there's so much more room in the system. So like we just got out of the way. And the interesting that the learning for me was also that's a lot easier to make. Ironically, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like yeah, once, yeah. The, well, you, that's why I think strategy games are fairly straightforward to make, right? Yeah. Like you know you make the rules and then stuff happens. Well, that's it. And so yeah, we had realization challenges, but yeah, get out of the way and 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 do it. And I mean the the fascinating part is that Far Cry four, there's you know lots of towers and outposts and things which are pretty much you know. Uh, structureless content you know like there's a rule set you have to clear them but how you do it is up to you when you do it is up to you and you know and players appreciation of that is super high and they're made by a very small subset of the team mm -hmm. we say the the, the 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 mission content is made by a very large section of the team 
but usually you have to do certain things in it which frustrates players so appreciation goes down and it costs us a lot of money <laughs> so ironically in that game the more appreciated content was cheaper and faster than the the less appreciated content yeah, yeah. Hmm. that's interesting um so was the was the story less like how did the story like fit together um was it like less linear than you would did normally like, yeah it was definitely less linear and we had branches and we had all that sort of stuff and we would have put in more if we'd had time but the sort of idea that you know if the game is going to be essentially about overthrowing land and like making progress to a physical environment then that what's the, that's what the story needs to be about as well you know okay um, so, so there were certain areas you needed to you need to clear, clear yeah basically. you know what i mean so that that nat- natural behavior of what you already wanted to do and then we could let you do it in any way that you want in any time that you want mm. um so and did then you so, have like a story bit for each of those areas essentially and you can yeah. kind of do that in whatever order yeah pre- well pretty much like there's a sequence of missions that drag you through the environment but along the way you need to clear out the other stuff on your own in your own way so there's like this this breadcrumb through the guts of the game that that is the story of the you know of the golden path which is the rebel faction overthrowing the the, the evil overlord but as you go you're meant to sort of start to say well everyone's just killing everybody you know right. good and bad is a very strange concept in this environment and then there's a schism in the golden path which means you need to sort of pick which which faction of that, neither of which it seems particularly good either, right. um, that you want to side with, uh, and then how you do it, how you play every, every, you know, each section of it is up to you. Yeah. Now, so when we talked about AC3, we talked about uh, how a lot of the systemic stuff people didn't necessarily find yep. if they were kind of playing the game straightforward and yep. following the breadcrumbs or whatnot. Yeah. So did you did you not have that problem with Far Cry 4? It was much more successful in terms of people hit people hit all of the key stuff that we wanted to. We did a much better job of putting it in front of them. Okay. And uh, what do you uh, mean hitting key stuff? Well, I think like they didn't. There weren't features that were under you know that that people just didn't touch at all. So people found all. The, people found all, all the stuff. Toys, yeah, right. and even stuff like the secret en- ending at the very start. Mm-hmm. You know, the pitch that I had was like it's only one cutscene. You know, and they're like, yeah. well, no many people will find it and I was like well one person will find a put on YouTube right and they'll put on YouTube and then the internet will go oh my goodness like this is amazing right and that's exactly what happened so we were better at predicting how people would react to the content but why do you think um, players didn't have have the problem that they had in AC3 they didn't necessarily they weren't looking for yeah I think because in AC3 there's a lot more really odd content (laughs) like you know what I mean like the boats was radically unexpected the homestead was radically unexpected and also we didn't um, the way we implemented was because we wanted the joy of discovery even finding the homesteaders don't appear until you get very close at certain moments you know so they're not dots on the map and that game became very much about following the, the dots on the map and right. so when we didn't give you that feedback people didn't find them Yeah, um, and we thought that would actually be a good thing um, and I think emotionally it is a good thing because you do it does work it's just that you don't expect it so you don't see it right you know I'm not sure how it how it, well, how much weight this part of the game has. Right, exactly. And so it's, it's a bit, it's a bit uh, you know, obscure. Whereas in, you know, in Far Cry 4, all of the, the systems are, are much more tightly integrated. You, know, you can't fight people without animals being nearby. You right. can't progress, upgrade your gear without hunting animals. You can't hunt animals without using weapons. You can't get around without essentially using vehicles. So the systems are much more tightly integrated, I think. And it's a much more natural... Uh, process of, of looking around and you know finding your next tool and using it so you're going to bump into all the mechanics just by playing the game. just by playing the game and it's a much tighter like sort of mecha- mechanical sequence of loops you know so you, you, you sort of find yourself in the next system organically it feels like you decided to be there but it's because they're all connected yeah hmm. 
right. What would you? So what would you do different about Far Four? Far Four, I actually one of the ones you know, like in in I'm pretty much okay with it. I would have probably made one of the Golden Path members a bit more positive, like you know, just for a last. <laughs> but no, I'm super happy with that one. I think that one stands. Let this let leave that one alone. Yeah. You know, we don't don't need to do anything particularly <laughs> rigorous to that one. Right. 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 All right. Well. Great. I mean, I know people love the game. Yeah, it was good. It was good. And it did really well. So, you know, they're going to do more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they are. I will not count Ubisoft out on no, making more games. They are, they, they are making games as we speak. <laughs> it is true. Yeah. Wow. Um, how big are these teams, actually? Like AC3. Uh, they they end up at big numbers, and I think in everyone's head that's how they, you know, they can sure. be in the 500 to 600, 700 people range, you know, yeah. but that's for the very last parts, you know what I mean? Like so the last six months, yeah. last year. It's a just imagine a vertically climbing graph, sure. you know, so you have long periods of like 15, 20, 30 people, really? you know what I mean? Okay. And then so, so that the core uh, sort of ideation phase can be very small. Yeah. You know, and then you're into sort of like 100, 120, which is not that crazy these days. And then towards the end when it's content explosion and stuff, it's just monster amounts of people. Yeah. So it seems like the risk of like this type of a system is essentially you have this huge bench of mm. people mm. that are ready to like jump on immediately. Yep. Yes, exactly. Which sort of is like the Hollywood model, except you're paying all these people whether you have the movie ready or not. Yeah, well, that's right? why it only works in a studio where you're doing multiple games. So that art team will be rotating through games. So they're always in the last year of a game. Right, but like basically what I'm trying to say is if like one of these games falls off in the second year, and then that means there won't be a game in place for all those developers the third year. Yeah, then like, you go. What happens then? Then you're like... That's bad news. Uh, well, no, Ubi's amazing. Ubi never cuts stuff, basically. So, no, they usually, there's, there's always something. It's amazing. Like, yeah. usually, because you have a few things in, you know, maybe another game will be accelerated into production. Right. So, um, scale something up. Or, yeah, exactly. So, they tend yeah. to they tend to be very good at the tactics of, of, of responding. Right. So, there must be some really good people at Ubisoft that, that oh, yeah. are looking at, you know, they're not really worried about the... This is the creative side, but just yeah, how the to, business how side. to move all these oh, production sure. people. Yeah, Yanis and so those like, guys down there on the business side are, are great. Yeah, yeah, so they run a, they run a tight ship. Yeah, well, that's that's impressive. I mean, I think a lot of companies. It seems like they're the best at doing this type of thing. Yeah, I think they are. They then they they have a system, and that that that's you know that's the they they know what they want, and they know how to do that, and that's why sometimes things can come across feeling you know similar in terms of right. structure, but at the same time, it's why it's effective. Yeah. So yeah, that's the flip side, right? Like there's that concept of the Ubi game yep. of like, which is really silly. I mean, it was only for a little brief window where it was just like a tower. You know what I mean? And uh, and the tower is just a device to unlock other objectives, mm-hmm. and all the objectives and mechanics were all different. So the real part of the game was different, but the 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 realization of the reveal mm-hmm. was the same. Which is essentially, I think, the reason we accidentally did it is like everyone's like, well, that's kind of irrelevant. Who cares? You know what I mean? You're actually jumping into something I don't know about. All right. Okay. So to me, the Ubi game is just the concept of like. All of these Ubisoft games share so much, oh. you know, of like, it's, you know, you got the map and you've got all the little mission markers pop up yeah. and you got to find all this stuff. And yeah, like, but that's what I'm just, saying. Like, they're, they're, that, that part is often similar, like the map and how the content is revealed. Yeah. But, you know, in one, you're just driving around. In another one, you're you're first-person shooter. In another one, you're yeah. climbing all over everything. So the actual game itself is it's usually different. very different, you know. But, the but yes, that, that, that layer of the reveal has a samey feeling and I think yeah we it happened invisibly because we're like oh that's a really effective way to do this part of the game that isn't that interesting to us right like I don't care how you see the the mission objectives appear on your map so sure do it in the yeah, town do it the same <laughs> and then you're like oh but that's so front facing to players like it's so much their interface they open the map they look so it's the thing they touch all the time right so right. They, they 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 felt it much more than we we saw it 
Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. But then we just so now, but now it's changed. Well, now it's already gone. So like everyone will be doing it differently. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like. To, it's like it, saying, oh, I always have this group of units at the bottom of these RTSs. There's always <laughs> there, and I just have to keep clicking on them. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, like, there's no way you can run a studio at that scale without having some stuff. That, yeah, some structure. Yeah. Something <laughs> similar. I mean, like, yeah. the alternative, I don't even know what the alternative is. Well, I hate the fact, you know, I watch Game of Thrones, and you know, every episode they have the same actors. <laughs> they just don't change the actors all the time. They just, they're just resting on their laurels. Right. Never yeah, yeah. evolves. Well, they're, they're, you pick the wrong TV show, however. They just they, kill them occasionally. They do a pretty good job of getting rid of actors on that show, but uh, yeah, point, point taken. Um, all right, cool. So, was there. Um, we'll get to the new thing in a little bit. Yeah. Was there something else you did after Far Cry Four? Or like no, we went back onto the new IP, and then it just sort of, it just sort of, you know, got into issues with management structure, and that's what that's what led to sort of me deciding as of last week to 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 hang up my my Ubisoft gym membership card and 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 uh, strike out on on my own with a few friends. Yeah. Because I mean, were you? Were you tired of making games at that scale, or no? I think we just couldn't do something fun. I mean, just talk more about like yeah, we wanted to do something. We were very broadly. I think you know, one way from our perspective was we wanted to do something radically different, and that meant that like it was tech R and D from day one. Okay, and it was very slow, and it got into it got into challenges. You couldn't put it on the Ubisoft train. No, and it was, and therefore we got into like sort of emotional hot water, you know, and then it just became untenable from both sides for for that moving forward. But the project's still in development, so who knows? Who knows? would be very weird that's two years of my life on and off that is now currently in someone else's hands yeah hmm all right well that's what i feel exactly that (laughs) that, huh that is that is the 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 core what comes out the other end i guess um but are you i mean are you doing i mean you've got a new company yeah and presumably typhoon studios typhoon studios excellent all right um, are, but I assume you're kind of playing with similar ideas, right? Like yep. these are the type of things that are in your head. So. Yeah. So the, the idea is is essentially to build a you know a systemic planet, uh, you know, filled with truly alien you know creatures and, and artifacts that you and your your small crew of, of buddies are are there to catalog and you know explore and 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 sort of you know uh, survive. Okay, and when you say buddies, these are other yeah, players? co-op players. Yeah, it's co-op. Um, yeah. Can they be not? They can you play it by yourself? Yeah, or? it'll be solo or co-op. So it's PVE or you know like the player versus the world essentially, mm-hmm. um, and and in a much more systemic, I think, and you know sort of time sensitive manner than most games have, 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 have tackled to date. Okay, will it feel? fundamentally different if you're not playing with someone else like how will you handle that I think you'll just be switching I think like lots of co-op action games it'll be better with someone else but that you you can you can play you can play on your own you have the same tool set so you know it'll just be a, a, a very lonely existence yeah if it's systemic does like someone own the world you understand like 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 I'm I'm playing on my instance on my you know Xbox or whatever. Yeah. My friend can come into my world and play with me. Yeah. Like yeah, you own the world. The player, the the player who launches the game owns the world. I think is the way we'll, we'll structure it. Maybe we'll end up with some idea of persistence where you can, you know, you can both land on the planet and jump and wait. You know, like you're, it is kind of neat, but your buddy's asleep in his right, you know, in right. his, his shack if he's not playing. But and so you're both exploring the same space would be a really nice idea. But where we're so early in the the, yeah. the I guess the, the problem the is the splinters from there, right? Because buddy B might also have a buddy C, and then right. Does he have a bunk? Buddy C might have a buddy D, right? So, yeah, exactly. Um, but 
I mean, those are those are definitely things to think about. I mean, yeah, no, I think it's super cool persistence and and yeah and, and all that sort of stuff. Will but it like, be more than two people though, like two to four possible? is what we're two playing with at the moment. Okay. But I like the idea of the intimacy of two people, like I said before. You know that it is your best friend, and you know, like this is a shared moment that you can talk about later. Mm. Um, and it doesn't, it isn't like thousands of people and huge worlds. I'm like more no super dense, tiny world with a small crew. Yeah. Well, people like. Will it make sense that people will be like in the same world, but like doing completely different things or? I think it, it will be feel to you like you're the only people, you're the, your first contact. So the idea would be, yes, it is a shared space in the sense that, you know, like someone else, the, the, the map will probably be pretty much the same. Um, but but uh, you're, in your world, you are the first person to touch it. Okay. Oh, I guess I, what I meant was like, you're playing with a buddy, like, is the game going to like kind of like keep you together or like what happens if they just kind of like decide to go off and do different things well we find that I mean you know technically we'll have to figure out if that's allowed you know but even then I mean there's a 200 meter leash in Far Cry 4 that no one ever found oh really it's really sounds quite small but they don't do it when there's two people you stick together like why would I choose to play with you specifically and then walk off huh that's really interesting yeah so they don't they just don't do it it's interesting what idea problems you think might become a problem well i was they were all all the engineers were at my desk when we said we're doing the (laughs) the mega they're like this is gonna happen i was like i bet you it doesn't and they're like and so i luckily i won the bet (laughs) like it can very rarely but all does teleport you a bit closer but generally you you want to be next to them or near them anyway anyway yeah huh that's really interesting all right um cool so you're so the setting is you're like some of the first whatever yeah uh, so like NASA explorers to come to like the next planet yeah the idea being like the NASA's they're already doing it right now they say they just found seven yeah, last NASA week yeah NASA conveniently is working on your PR so Yay. I wish um, we were announcing that would be great <laughs> but the idea that once the, the, the you know the probe says 99.99 or better chance that this supports life and is interesting then they send a small crew down to like you know uh, to check it out and catalog it properly in the same way that you know like you know a queen or a king would have sent out some, some people on a tall ship to find you know know the new world um, back in the day and you have to you know catalog the animals the plants the life figure out what's valuable what's not valuable what's dangerous what's not dangerous so are you like taking pictures instead yeah. of shooting them pretty basically? much yeah like half is taking pictures and I, I, I'm fascinated by the idea that perhaps we could have a version where you just you don't have to engage in the violence like we're going to send you a weapon it makes no sense that your first contact without a you know some sort of weaponry but I don't think that's I don't want it to be just one path where you're you know exploring a new world and, and murdering its inhabitants will that be a choice or will that be like I mean I kind of assume that like you'll have to get into combat because some of the animals will be hostile yeah I think they will attack you but how you react it would be fun to say that you can book it out of there or that you know what I mean like there's ways to avoid it or you know that sort of stuff but yeah not sure yet but I'm you know most people I think you give them a gun they're going to shoot it right it's tough right like it's something you want to think about but shooting is just such the core it's so, verb. yeah exactly and it's like and it's a new IP and a new studio and all these things and I don't want to go reinventing the idea of interactive entertainment like with our first game you know we've tried it before Siren and it hurts uh, so uh, you know, now that it's my dime, I think <laughs> I think I'm going to go down the middle. Right. Um, but but then that's you know, but then try to innovate in in different ways and and have options alongside it um, that that are you know that are feasible and interesting and 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 hopefully fun. Okay. Are the interactions between the like are you gonna are you gonna build a world or is this gonna be somewhat random? Or? We're gonna build the the physical environment and then pr- pr- probably procedurally place or algorithmically place the stuff on it so there'll be one planet yep 
but it'll be different for yeah. each person. Yeah, and probably each session for you even, like the idea that it will, like time will affect it and things will migrate and move and all that sort of stuff, but that you can rely on the idea that, you know, we went to that Mesa that's over in the East. Yep, we went, let's go again to that Mesa and kick off, you know? So, you know, the, one of the joys of of a bespoke world is being able to learn it, you know, and, 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 and make a plan and execute. And we want to keep that, but have the surprise along the way of like some, something, some creature that I didn't know was nocturnal. Cause I left at night instead of in the day is suddenly there. And we're like, all right, all right is it going to attack us? What do we do? Do we hide? You know? Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and then you, so you're going to design the ecosystem. Yep. Like you're going to come up with a bunch of plants and a bunch of animals yep. and figure out how yep. they all work together. Exactly. And then they and let you, you map it. The part of the joy hopefully will be you as a player mapping that. You know, and figuring out what 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 we what we imagined. Right. Hmm. So it's hard not to want to like take the next step to like have the you know some of that stuff be done procedurally. So like it's going to be fundamentally different from each player. I think that's it. And that and we're, again, because it's a new project, we're trying to so say, what's what's the 18 month to two year version of this we can get out yep. and then have avenues like that, that, that we could evolve the game and, you know, and make a bigger offering and, you know, and yep. like go along. Cause again, we don't want to do a fire and forget, like we're going to make this and probably yep. sit on it for a long time. Yeah. It's tough. When you talk about a new project like this, you know, talk, you know, you talk to a publisher, you talk to a designer yep. like me, like, you know, it's, the, the thing we do is like we immediately jump to like the next step, yep. you know, and you're excited about the project and, you know, you don't want to like be like dampen our enthusiasm. No. Like, no, we're not <laughs> going to do that either. We're not going to do that. But like, you know, you got to make hard choices about like what's going to lead to the best product in two yep. years. And what's, right? and what's feasible, you know what I mean? At this point with a small team, as opposed to like, you know, like hundreds of people, if there's like 15 of us or yep. 20 of us, which is still scary amounts of people when you're doing payroll, yeah. you know, uh, uh, but, but not that many people to make a game that hopefully competes in a more you know, like AAA space, it's, yeah, it's yeah. some hard choices. Well, it's, if you go the, if the, if you go the kind of like handcrafted route, it's, it seems like you would be potentially very scalable for like making some extra planets. Yeah, that's what right. I'm thinking. Exactly. Yeah, you know what I mean? And once you've got the pieces, like once the systems work, like dropping another animal in or, you know, having a mutation strike everything, you know what I mean? And doing that, we should hopefully get a lot of bang for buck. So we're not quite on a content treadmill, you know, of having to update, but we can have like, you know things that radically alter the systems. You know, with one new creature, like a like a like a epic predator, suddenly mm-hmm. comes through, and you're like, oh gosh, right? And it's just wiping out all the other animals, which is dumping your resources, which is making it super hard for you to do something else. But uh, uh, but it was with the through the addition of one creature. You know what I mean? As opposed to like having to do a whole new world. Yeah. Is uh, is there going to be like intelligence? Uh, probably not. It's hard. It's expensive to model. <laughs> hard to build. And I don't think it's as much fun. I really don't want people anymore. I've shot enough people. Right. Fought enough people. I really want to be... I want the feeling... I was well, but pitching. there's like a middle ground there, right? Like, yeah. you know, whales have a certain intelligence and like... Oh, that sense. Like animals, yes, for sure. Yeah. Like, I mean, but you could... I can imagine like an intelligence that's definitely you know far above animals on earth yeah but perhaps still below what humans are, yeah exactly right? and so. we'll, we'll discover that as we go along but yeah like that we, we've probably just you, have you seen arrival recently just came out i actually haven't seen it yet, yeah but. so they do another one where they're like you know creatures that are really strange that think non-linearly and like you know all this sort of stuff and it's really interesting you know and that's the thing i want to feel like i did when i was you know 12 and opened the monster manual you know for ad and d and was just like a beholder what the hell is this you know what i mean and yeah, now yeah. it's like a Everyone knows everyone had a mental image of a giant eyeball just then covered in eyeballs, but at the time I'd never seen it, let alone, you know, imagine what it could do. And we want that same sort of that same sort of vibe. Yeah. 
All right. Well, sounds cool. Thank you. Let's hope. Let's let's meet again in, <laughs> we'll see. in a GDC. We will Actually, be- maybe by the time this podcast comes out, people are like, oh, it was crap. Yeah, people will know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, it's actually kind of cool to be able to put this down now, like at this specific point. Yeah, exactly. It's like we are literally, I was a Ubisoft employee on Friday. So like it is, it is <laughs> Tuesday. So uh, yeah, this is, this is, this, I think it's the first time I've said Typhoon Studios. Wow. In All any right. context apart from, you know, to the other guys who are founding it. Well, don't change the name. No. <laughs> All this branding wasted. <laughs> oh. Well, um, so how are you building the studio? Like, this is kind of a big deal, right? Like, I would, you know, I built a studio. Yep. It's not really something I figured I was particularly good at or knew what to do, so. Yeah, I mean, we're just like, I mean, it's friends and family at the moment. You know, like, going around and all the people yeah, we've yeah. worked with over the years and saying, hey, we're doing this thing. Are you crazy enough to get on board? Putting in our own money. Um, so, goodbye, nest egg. Yep. Uh, and then chatting to people about coming on board. You know, like, some people who want to, like, maybe invest in the people and therefore the company to give us enough to get to sort of, you know, a first playable. Um, but it's strange. Like, the market is broadening. Maybe there's some publishers who are going to be interested. So, we could end up straight back with a publisher, like, the 90s. Right. You know what I mean? Like we were saying. But, uh, you know, we want to be online, you know, and then maybe have a box right later. Um, so, there's all kinds of different avenues we're exploring to, to try and just get it out. Right. Uh, cool. All right. So now that we're kind of gotten to the present, uh, one thing I like to ask at the very end is mm-hmm. like, why do you make video games? Why is this what you've chosen to do like, yeah. with your professional life? Uh, I think I've never felt the same sense of wonder as I've felt from particularly great video games throughout my life in different periods. You know, the sense of a magical place that I can explore and inhabit that's strangely personal. Um, I, yeah, I just, it's a feeling that I get in the best games, you know, when I boot up Ocarina of Time or, you know what I mean? When I started, you know, like placing tiles in SimCity or, you know, like finding a new landmass in Civ, you know, like all these things. Like there's a feeling in there that I think is unique that blew me away as a, as a young person that I would love to feel or believe that I had recreated in somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, that idea of like the magic of an interactive space and, a, you know, a touchable, uh, uh, you know, uh, world for me is still a gift that I received and I'm yeah I'm excited to try and give it to give it to other people yeah do you um, what's the best way you find to see how you've been able to deliver that like do you watch people play watching like, them yeah watching them play like these days it's great because like Far Cry 4 when you see a you see a co-op video that someone's made and they are literally yelling and laughing for 20 minutes right. like un, like in a row like and you know sometimes it's a thing you design sometimes it's a collision of systems you've never seen before sometimes it's a bug mm-hmm. you know what I mean but the joy in there of this and you, someone in their buddy this is their life you know what I mean and like something they'll probably talk about you know 10 years from now that was great remember we did that and it was funny and then the elephant ran me over and I fell out of the helicopter and you know that for me is like super rewarding because the, 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 the feedback you know the weird combo of death threats reviews and you know yeah. other stuff that is the periphery of development developing games is just noise and it can feel like that's the reality and like you know that's this super negative space but then when you see people just actually playing them you yeah. know and experience the content when you get it right uh it's pretty obvious you yeah. know you see them you see them uh uh you know them making highlight reels you know yeah. the internet is full of highlight reels of, of dumb shit and if i've done my job right you know, it happened in Spore, it happened in The Sims, it happened in Far Cry. It's probably the only thing that unifies like a relatively diverse set of projects I've worked on is that, you know, people being able to tell a funny story to their buddy and put it on, the, make a video out of it. And that's the, that's the, that's, that's the best bit by far. Yeah. Yeah. We're lucky we live in an age when you can, you can, we can get a direct line now to like 
what people are doing with our games, you know, like, you know, the, uh, you talk to people who made games 20 years ago, it's like, yeah, eventually you'd get maybe a letter. Yeah, or like, <laughs> or just like, and even now, like, we've been doing it long enough, where like I was saying, like, new engineers out of college or hiring would just say, oh, that, that was great, you know, and then, and, and, you know, I don't know, they would just, they would, they would have happy, so even about games that we didn't like, you know, or I didn't like, you know, and I was like, wow, I guess it always reaches an audience somehow, you know, if you make it with the best of intents, even if you fuck it up at some point, you know, there are, there, you know, you're hitting a lot of people, millions of people, you know, like, they did, they didn't all, you know, we didn't have, you know, 40 something percent of people finished AC3, you know, with 80 million players and then, and hate it, you know, it's like those yeah. Steam reviews of like 10,000 hours played, right. boring game, <laughs> gets repetitive quickly, you know what I mean, you're like, oh my goodness, yeah. but, uh, but that's passion, you know, the anger is also passion usually sure, and that yeah. I think even in a weird way that shows you hitting the mark you know when they're yelling at you it's because they care oh yeah 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 you know so sure yeah that's that's definitely the right way to look at it um, cool alright well thanks thanks for doing this thank you so much that was a lot of fun yeah cool alright I'm so late for dinner oh no I'm sorry <laughs> that's good no I was like I, I can't exactly